seen you guys in ages. How, how are you both doing? Doing great. Great. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Now it's just French Jen and Mike here tonight. Yep. Hiking royalty. <laughs> Thank you. That's really kind of you to say that. That's sweet. <laughs> yes. We're going to hype you up. We're going to hype you up. We go back. Um, we go back. It's like the... Exactly. We'll get into that. So Stomp, um, for now though, like uh, what's going on with the foliage? What's the latest and greatest? Well, let's take a peek. Um, I mean, I can tell you from my perspective being in Lincoln quite a bit that it's starting the pop era. I, I would think it's about 40, 50% in Lincoln now, which is super cool. Um, obviously, Columbus Day weekend is coming, and now's the time. I'm, I'm sure the North Country is popping for sure. Um, let's see what it says here. This is foliage reports from Visit NH. Oh, yeah, so the Great North Woods are 75 to 85%. White Mountain Range is 50 to 75, so that's more or less Lincoln, right? Yeah. yeah. Lakes Region 25 to 35 and then Dartmouth Sunapee Region 40 to 55%, uh Monadnock 40%. So yeah, we're getting there. Seacoast 20%. All right. So if we're going to go this weekend like Dixville Notch, Grafton Notch, yep. Yep. that whole area there, Percy, like, Peak. Uh, Percy, Percy Peak. Peak. I'm heading up to Nashville. Table Rock. Yep. Oh, you, are you guys going to Table Rock? Well, he's backpacking. I'm I'm just going up to Table Rock. Really? Yes. Do you go all the way out to the end? Yeah. And then a little. Mm. Then there's beyond. There's a little dip you can even take a There's step that on. little nub down mm-hmm. there. I'm not going there. I've been there, but I've been all the way out there, but I'm not going to that little. The little yeah. Down. No. It's really neat to take a selfie with the parking lot below you where your car is <sighs> from that spot. It gets the blood oh, going. I got dizzy. My mother doesn't yeah. like it, but... <laughs> Yeah. Do you get dizzy? I got when I went out there. Like I, I, I was fi- I'm fine generally, like in the middle. But when I did get to that very edge part and I had to take my phone out, I got a little dizzy. It freaked mm. me out. Like a vertigo, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so stomp. It sounds like North Country is where to go. Get the queasy stomach, Mike. Not usually, but like I think when you like take your camera out, that might be why we hit, we do those news, news stories every once in a while about people falling off waterfalls. Is I think you just get disoriented when you're fiddling with your camera. Mm. Yeah, too busy trying to find the right angle for the gram. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we've talked about the people that are on their phones and they fall into potholes and everything else. So that's your perfect spot to walk right off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. Well, I stopped. I pulled. Uh, we did episode twenty three way back. We did our fall foliage refresher, and I pulled some of the hikes that we had recommended from that show, just in case people haven't listened. So I wanted to go through this, and and Jen and Mike definitely chime in on your opinions about these, um, and if you have any other ideas. But these were like the easy hikes that that me and Stomp had decided were good recommendations for fall, which we had Pine Mountain, so you can sort of overlook Madison and in that area. Then we had Mount Martha and Owl's Head. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's awesome. Then I had um, Green Mountain and Effingham and Burnt Meadow, which is not really, that's not peak yet, but those are like easy mountains. And then Stomp had Mount Pemi and Artist Bluff. I think another classic one is Mount Willard, looking right into the notch there. Oh yeah, uh, good call. Yeah. You know, and, and Boulder Loop. Yeah, the Boulder Loop. Yeah, Boulder Loop is pretty good. Where's that? Oh. Um, doesn't ring a bell. That's in the kink. down down along the kink, the Albany covered bridge. Oh, okay. across the bridge there. Okay, there's like a three mile loop. Hmm. Learn it, something. It's, a, it's a little overrun. It needs some trail work, but <laughs> like, I, I guess that's I in the read, works. Matter, I, I think I read an article. I have to pull it up, but I'm pretty sure that that. That Boulder Loop got funding for trail work. It did. And they're going to redirect yes, the trail. It did. I'm on the 4,000 footers um, club. The, I'm one of the, okay. the members. On the, thank you. I'm on the committee. Let me see your card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my face is there now. I'm part of all that and everything. And that was one of the projects that had been brought up to work on and stuff like that was that. Was that Boulder Loop area actually? Unfortunately, it did not get enough volunteers. Yes. So reschedule. Yep. Because <laughs> everybody's too busy hiking. People like to hike, but they, the volunteering is um, lacking, is what we yeah. discovered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when was this? Um, that was recently, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was like the last weekend of September. Yeah. Or next to last. So is this like. A new trend or is this has been the case um i think it's been the case yeah is what they've noticed over the years is that um when you bring up these trail days and stuff to volunteer you know and everything like that um there's just a lack of response response yeah Hmm. and so we're always trying to figure out better ways to like get that out and get people more again like you they want to hike but you know it's also nice to give back to the trails too yeah and everything so that's what all they were trying to like promote mm-hmm. do you have like a mailing mailing list of people that you send out they did some um advertising on like facebook and instagram and stuff like that um so gotcha. we're gonna go about it in the spring again and try to get more people into it you know yeah even with search and rescue it's the same thing it's like yeah. uh you know you have x amount of members but a smaller percentage always show up for missions and yeah. it's, yep. it's, I think it's just the nature of volunteer work. Yeah. 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 It's hard. I feel like I should be volunteering and mm-hmm. doing something, but between work, the kids, this show, yeah. and then wanting to get out to like hike once a weekend, it's, it's just hard to find the time. But Oh, absolutely. I'm, I, gotta, I gotta give, I gotta get back. So we're going to circle back to the volunteer day and stuff like that in the spring and you know, to get more people again, just out there, you know, and, but the Boulder loop yeah. was one and then there's other trails and stuff, but we're going to put that together. One of the time is happening. Okay. 
stay in touch. Let me know the next time I yeah. I can help. But um, yeah, but Boulder Loop. And then I think the other one, Snop, you had talked about Bald Mountain off of the Western Kinsman's. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice one. <laughs> yeah. What is that Route One Sixteen? I believe. Yeah. I think it's One Sixteen heading north to Franconia. That's a nice short one, a couple miles up, and very reminiscent of say the Overlook on Welsh Dickey. Mm-hmm. You know that first Overlook. Yeah, so there's a lot going on. I think it's going to be busy over the next couple of weekends for sure. And Stomp, we also had just put out some reminders. It gets dark early, so bring your headlamps. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets cold when the sun drops, so extra clothes. And then the leaves are slippery, so watch your footing. Yep. All right, so that's what we got for fall foliage update here. And then Stomp, you had something about uh, um, Sappho House Haunted. Yeah, Steve Saffer was um, a local fella out in Benton. Um, they do a yearly haunted house, and Benton from Woodstock is not too far. I can't actually open the link at the moment, um, but it's it's a great time. It's at their home, and it's, it's well-known around the region, and uh, it's nice to have a campfire and this and that and a haunted maze, so mm. it's really a nice time. So if you're looking for something to do this weekend, which would be, what, the 8th and 9th, more or less. Uh, so check it out. It's the Sappho Haunted Orchard, I believe it's called. Yeah, and it's yeah, free. It sounds like they've got werewolves in there as well. And they said, bring your flashlight and sturdy shoes and walk these dark woods as there'll be no one to guide you. And if you make <laughs> it through, you can get some refreshments by the campfire. So that's pretty cool. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. It's really cool. Werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Mrs. Stomp. Mrs. Stomp just scared the death out of us. Yeah. We're all in the studio and I'm setting up the mics mm. for the session here tonight. And all of a sudden she comes storming through the door without warning or notice. And <laughs> it did. I jumped. It was a did jump she know scare. Mike and Jen were coming? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She just wanted to come down and say hi. So. I had actually just, um, I brought it up on my phone, but um, Hauntings in the White Mountains. I was searching for places recently um, to talk about, like your haunting thing, about areas in the White Mountains that are supposedly haunted. And I had been Mm -hmm. reading through the list recently, but there's some really interesting places on here. Um, Let's see, it says Jeremiah Willie that roams the White Mountains, like um, Mm -hmm. um, by Mount Willard. People have heard children running around through there before at night. the dungeon at Lake of the Clouds also is supposedly haunted. Mm-hmm. But if you go, I've heard that one. Yeah, Lake of the Clouds hut. Um, let's see, Mizpah Spring Hut is apparently got some heebie-jeebies going on there too. Heebie-jeebies. Scientific Ooh. terms. Yes. Um, but yeah, I was I, I stumbled <laughs> upon that the other day though. Like, but th- you know, yeah. it's so old out here. Yeah, you know, with like I have definitely mind, heard but, that you know. story about mm-hmm. the Willies before. Yeah, um, that one is is pretty well known. But I, every once in a while, you know what I feel like is th- there's like a presence is uh, Passaconway. <gasps> yes, whenever said I that. hike Passaconway, and I've said that to people before, and they're always like, "Yeah, that there's something off about that. <gasps> something about that summit. It's like I've a done, satanic ritual." I've circle. done that. So I've done that at night when in my first round. And I did at night with a girlfriend and I swear we were being followed the whole time. I was like, mm-hmm. I couldn't have gotten off that area quicker, honestly. And I say it every yeah. time. Dicey's That's, Mill has history too. Does that, it? That trail. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also Cabot too. Really? Cabot's haunted for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's creepy. But there's something about the energy on Pasa yep. Conway that just freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Mm. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. So I'm getting scared now. Moving on. <laughs> Stop. Now you had a Nalgene disaster? Yeah. Do you know my, my two liter Nalgene bottle that I've had for like 40 years and it's, it's, it's dawned. There's a, like a, um, a wool sock over it with duct yeah. tape wrapped all around it. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. It finally broke and my heart is broken. I'm never going to be able to replace that beauty. You should have a moment of silence. <laughs> yes. It was literally an old wool sock covering the bottle and then duct tape. It's like perfect though. It worked in the summer. It worked in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might market you it. You still have the sock and the duct tape though. No, it was, t- no, no. I wouldn't know what to do with those components <laughs> after these many years. You can't just put another bottle in it? Uh, no, no, no. It's pretty raunchy after all this. So sentimental value. <laughs> sentimental. With sock and duct tape. Socks and Socks. duct tape. Uh, Somebody a- donate to stomp one of those like, um, outdoor research. Like it sounds like a Jeffrey Dahmer podcast. <laughs> We're going to get you a, a, a winter, what are those does, called, uh, insulation sleeve or something? Uh, yeah. That's fancy, though. That's fancy. Yeah, yeah it's too fancy. I'm sure EMS could hook them up. It's too, it's too rich for our blood. That's true. You know? Stomp's aesthetic is more like a, 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 a homeless, sock a homeless guy. Right <laughs> Just say it, Mike, a homeless guy. I say MacGyver, but we can go with homeless, too. <laughs> it's homeless Res- guyver. Homeless MacGyver. Resourceful. <laughs> Resourceful. <laughs> Oh boy. Have you heard about <clears throat> the disaster over the weekend at on Manaslu, the, the 14K footer? Yeah. First of all, there was a, a, the, the skier that perished that we talked about last week. And then there was a massive avalanche that wiped out one of the base camps. Hmm. Crazy stuff going on there. Um, but <laughs> this segues into this story here, Mike. Um, why do people when they're experiencing an avalanche, have to take their phone out and film it. (laughs) There's a video that we should post that's easy to find of an avalanche within two to to three feet of, I don't know, they look like they're climbing. They had the helmets on, the whole thing. Avalanche is literally coming down on top of them and somebody's just (laughs) filming it. Instead of holding on with that hand onto the nearest ledge to protect themselves. (sighs) are we going to do I don't know I like I like watching drama and, <laughs> but I don't like being involved in it mm-hmm. so maybe they think that like okay I want to I want to capture this drama but they don't realize that they're just about to be involved in it yes apparently I, not I no. think it's the culture we're in though these days I think the idea over spectacle yeah kind of takes over that survival instinct that would normally occur and you get overwhelmed thinking Oh, this is going to get all the views. It's going to go viral. I'm going to get all the attention. Maybe I'll get a Good Morning America guest spot. You know, it's that's it's an crazy. actually really interesting point. I wonder if there's science to show that, you know, the effects of looking at you know dopamine and getting these this rush from a picture mm. puts to sleep your reflexive instincts. I wonder if there's a connection there. Well, did you know for a vacation idea for everyone here, you could actually sign up to go tornado chasing with tornado chasing groups. Yeah, like I, you could I, actually spend like 2K to spend a week. Oh, I knew that since the movie Twister came out oh, that you right. could do this. I, <laughs> oh so th- there is something to that science. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I think that's the perfect test group. 
<laughs> I mean, goodness. I would sign up, so I, I guess I'm a perfect test. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. But full strength coffee and I, uh, the, AKA Thanos had a deep discussion about this in the background, but I don't know. Just be careful out there, folks. Yeah, it is something though to do with like you always see these videos with like people freaking out about like customer service situations or airlines or yeah. lately like the biggest. I used to be a, I used to a, I was a ref for like high school wrestling back in you know when my kids were younger. It was a good sort of side job, and every once in a while we'd have an issue with a parent or a coach or something like that. But it seems like now that everybody's walking around with a, a camera in their pocket, like more and more. It does seem like there's a certain subset of people that, you know, instead of stepping in and helping out when, you know, there is somebody getting yelled at from a customer service perspective or an official or, you know, a lot of these airline workers too, like people don't step in. They just like record. Like yeah. I, I remember seeing like there was a video of a girl that, and she was working at Dunkin' Donuts and somebody threw something at her and she was a young girl and everyone was just recording. They weren't doing anything. It's just, I don't know what that says about our society. Nothing good. Nothing good. And it's only going to get worse. Yeah. I mean, if you look at cult, the culture these days, like exactly what he said, though, you know, people should be stepping in and helping these poor people and they're just ready to go on their phones to video it instead of like being a decent human. Right. You know, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So if you see next time you see somebody freaking out, like don't record, step in and, and help yeah. deescalate. All right, so um, next topic here, Stomp, before we get to the show opener is, um, I actually, I pulled in a similar article, but this is just a follow-up to the Reckless Hiker. So there was like a, a deeper dive on those two young men who had gotten in trouble over by Eagle Crag. And, you know, there's an article that we can link in the show notes that just sort of talks about how New Hampshire officials are, you know, they they're just basically kind of highlighting that if you do do something reckless, like you are going to get fined. Well, it goes beyond that. Um, the Boston Globe story was the in-depth story, but this Boston.com story goes into civil penalty versus a criminal penalty. So these kids were charged with a misdemeanor. So that's not your average billing. Um, it's, it's a criminal offense. So that's what they're toying with at this moment. Which would be a departure because every year fishing game, I mean, this year, I think there was like 18 times that people were billed, but that was civil. You're not going, you know, you won't have a, or yeah. something on your record, but this is a whole different ball game. So, but it is an interesting question because what if say I go or, or you guys go bushwhacking and you end up in a pickle like that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's lots of different factors. I mean, we're, what's, what's the line? Yeah, and this article that I'll link, it sort of opened up a little rabbit hole for me and it gave me some answers to questions that I've had for a while about total visitors that come into the White Mountains. So it was sort of a throwaway line in the article itself, but they talked about a research um, a research paper that the UNH researchers had done around basically confirming what we had all sort of known by just looking at our own eyes, but there was a big increase in visitors in the White Mountain National Forest during COVID. And uh, they were able to sort of research and they they, they, they were able to pull like um, survey numbers to get a sense on how big of an increase there was for visitors. So more and more, we're just getting more people 
in into the the national forest here and it's it's going to cause issues if people don't know what they're doing well we'll get out pretty quick <laughs> if it becomes a pattern yeah. yeah exactly and i actually i pulled some numbers so this it was a good thing the article was good because it sort of pointed me into this what's called the national visitor use monitoring program which i was able to Maybe I should just run run these numbers down now, Stomp, and we can go back to the other topics sure. in a second. Who's responsible for that program? This is managed by the Forest Service. Okay. So the 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 National Visitor to Use Monitoring Program is is a I guess it's a law that they passed in like the late nineties requiring um, the Forest Service to do surveys in all national forest and national parks to um, get visitation estimates. And they do this through like a combination of traffic counting and surveys of visitors. And they, they what they do is they obtain these numbers on a random sample of locations in days spread out over the entire forest for a year. Um, and they, they typically do it on a survey basis. Um, so they're asked about their duration, what activities they're doing, demographic data is collected. And then they also get a sense on how far they've traveled and then how frequently they travel. So um, about a third of them are asked like more detailed questions, but at a very high level, they do these surveys every five years. So they've got data from 2000, 2005, every five years where they get a sense of what the total visits are in the White, White Mountain National Forest. They do it for every national park and it's interesting. So in 2005, they estimated that there was about 2.2 million visitors in the park and about 41% of those visitors were there to go hiking. So that's about 900,000 hikes, right? 2015, the total visits went up to 4.4 million. And the percentage of hikers went from 41% up to 59.4%. So the total hikers from 05 to 2015 went from 900,000 in 2005 up to 2.6 million in 2015, which is huge. And then when they did the 2020 survey, COVID was going on, so there was a little bit of dip in the total visitors, mm-hmm. but of those total visitors, the percentage of hikers was 70%. So the total hikers was 2.8 million in 2020. Wow. Even though there were less visitors because of COVID, the percentage of hikers from 05 to 2000 went from 41% up to 70%. Have you... So, yeah. Have you crossed that data into any search and rescue data you have from 2015 and 2020 to see the correlation and spike or if it stayed well, stagnant? I have, yeah, I have data from 2019, 2020, and 2021. Yeah. And the number of rescues has been pretty steady. And then I've, I've read some articles going back to search and rescue events that happened like back in like the mid 2010s and the number of rescues seems to be pretty flat compared to 2019, 2020 and 2021. So the rescues don't seem to be going up that much. And the other thing is you talk about if you've got 2.8 million hikers coming in to do visits and then you've got 120 or so people involved in media related search and rescues like that tells you like the the chance of you being involved in a rescue was like minimal yeah you know it's like way less than like you know a tenth of one percent so so what do you think is going to happen for 2023 do you think that's going to go down now that the pandemic's over 
I don't know. I mean, there's another there's another um, research paper that I can uh, that I have from UNH that I'll take a look at. And I think that what they saw that was like this huge spike in like July, August, and um, September and October of 2020, and then it's gone down. But really, they won't be doing another one of these monitoring programs until 2025. So. Yeah. Hard to tell. A couple of other interesting tidbits as I pulled some data. So in 2005, the gender mix between visitors, 62% men, 38% women, right? Yep. Now in 2020, 54% men, 45%, 55% men, 45% women, right? Um, how do they, how do they capture that data? Mm. Well, but what they do is they take a sample. So they'll take a okay. sample over a set amount of time. Just extrapolate you know, They it. probably survey like, it's the same thing as like election polling. So yeah. they take a, a survey and they'll take it like maybe two, 3,000 people over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. they extrapolate that out th using math. Gotcha. Ooh, math. Um, <laughs> math still works. <laughs> math still complicated works. Math. Principles of addition. It's Ooh. the universal language. Yeah. Not my the language. Thing that's interesting. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> um, they they take um, ethnic, ethnicity of the the surveys as well. So in two thousand five, two percent minority, right? In two thousand twenty, up to four percent. So not a huge number. There's a lot of white people going in the White Mountains, but um, there has been you know an increase in uh, ethnic minority representation in. In the whites going from two percent to four percent of the the visitors, which is that's good. You know, it's a, a decent increase. Yeah. And then the other interesting little tidbit here is they take income as well. So in two thousand five, I, I I basically took out like anyone that makes seventy five thousand or above. So forty two percent of the visitors were seventy five thousand dollars or above in there. So you know, decent salary, or decent earning household earning income. And then in twenty twenty. Um, 59% of the visitors had a household income of 100000 or more. So I adjusted for inflation. So it's typically the visitors are tend to be on the, the you know, the higher household income side as well, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Because um, sometimes you hear about lower income trying to get them out and trying to get into the woods, you know what I mean? And mm. you, we've seen signs in like Boston and stuff and trying to get everybody out up here. And so... Income makes things more accessible, you know. It's and you know, even even some of those group ones that you you see like on Instagram, I, one of them I can think of off the top of my head is Bridget. I they seem to advertise exclusively in, in college campuses and locales where that income's already going to be up there, you know. But mm -hmm. is, what is someone doing, say in Chelsea or Everett or you know somewhere where the incomes are a bit lower? Yeah, food exactly. for thought. Like, I, th I think a lot of those like uh, colleges that are in the city, they like they'll have outdoor adventure clubs and stuff like that where they'll ship them up. And then just in general, you know, anybody that's not local that's going to be coming up here and hiking, typically they're going to have the they're going to have the luxury of having a bit more sort of free time and the ability to to make it up here. So typically that's going to mean somebody that has money to drive a, a reliable car and they've got that extra free time on their hands are typically going to be able to, you know, afford the gear and, and everything to, to get up here. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I do wonder too, Mike, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the numbers have been kind of stagnant, you know, which speaks to, you know, not that it's less dangerous than maybe it's painted out to be, to be up here, 
but it makes me wonder if you paint a picture where you need all this gear, all those people in the lower income are already dismissing the idea of going. And if you can limit what gear you might need or may need, maybe that opens up more opportunities you know, for those people. Could be. Could be. I mean, the other thing to think about when you come, when it comes to rescue numbers is that if we really are, you know, if, if the numbers are have been pretty flat as far as rescues go from 2015 to 2020, you know, the amount of hikers that are out there has increased, which means that it's like less percentage of people needing a rescue. But it's been, you know, between 2015 and 2020, it really, the numbers haven't changed that significantly. So mm. it'll be interesting to see what the next survey shows up with 2025. But you know, it is interesting, like, and this is called the National Visitor Use Monitoring Program. So you can look at uh, any national park or national forest to get these numbers. Good tidbit. Very good. So I'll link that in the show notes. Now let's talk about pop culture. Ooh, pop yeah. culture. Pop culture. Okay, so we're going to do, a, I'm, I'm just calling it like every week we're having a segment about House of Dragons. So what do you guys think? We haven't seen it. I've watched nothing of Games of Thrones. Put the shame drop in there. <laughs> That's a shame. That's a shame drop. Uh, the, again, it was shame. amazing um, when shame. that young boy took over shame. and took control of that dragon, shame. and then all three dragons had to go shame. back home with them. That was brilliant. Shame. But I spent half of the episode wondering shame. whose kids were whose. It was it was shame. crazy. Um, really enjoyable, though. And on a side note, Walking Dead started this weekend, so that's been interesting. The mm-hmm. final season, quote unquote, final. Andor started two weeks ago. That I have been keeping up with. Oh, see, I would love to see that, but I do not have new Disney. episode tonight. See, we would love to see the House of Dragons. We don't have that. App. It's like it's like you have to have like certain apps. Like we have every app except you know what I mean. They're, we have to have watch parties. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, so what is Andor? I'm missing that. Um, Andor is the. Um, story behind um this rebel soldier in star wars that appeared in um rogue one they decided to do his backstory how how he got involved in the rebellion it's on disney plus so it has no canon characters no you don't you're not going to see darth vader you're not going to see yoda show up you're not going to see mention of skywalker anywhere or really even the jedis but um it so it's got all its own organic um, characters. It's pretty good so far. Well, the last awesome. adventure panned, right? The the new one with um, Obi Wan. Wasn't that sort of panned? Yeah, the the Obi Wan was was a little. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The what first a, few episodes were good. What do critics know, though, right? Exactly. But yeah. but back like to Obi-Wan, Game of Thrones, actually. Mike. What, do you, what what's your take on Game? Um, so the, the House of Dragons, so this episode was great. I mean, like I, I've read these books and like listened to them on audiobook and I've vi- envisioned like everything in my mind for so many years now and to see it come to the screen is so great. But I love the, you know, I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. Like Amos was just like perfect. Like that kid played that character like exactly like I envisioned it in my head. So yeah. amazing. Good stuff. And then, um. You know, the thing that I thought is interesting is that they're really setting up the show right now to make it into the good good people versus the bad people. Like Allison is showing, like they're basically positioning the greens to be the bad guys and then the blacks to be the good guys, which is not the way 
the book is. And I don't think that that's the way the show is going to end up. But right now, that seems to be the way that they're positioning it. So I don't know. I've always been Team Black, but now I kind of feel like Alicent is not like that evil. Like that scene with her with the knife and stuff like that, like that didn't it didn't come off in the book the same way it's come off in the show, but I like it. It's, mm -hmm. it's been fun. Yeah. It's good stuff. Have you seen that movie? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to. It's really good. Yeah. It's, it's her good. favorite word. Nope. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. It's, a, it's, I can't even say anything about it. I just have to say, go see it because spoiler it's, alert. Now it's, you can. <laughs> yeah. I just, can't say anything about it really it's mm. brilliant though and mike if you need another like rom-com show you know to, to watch with the girls um jen's turned me on to the mindy project we're a few years behind <laughs> yes. obviously but yeah. it's it's pretty good oh, was that the girl from uh, the office? office yeah i've been binge watching really? that I'll one check that out. it's there's like six yeah. seasons I'm, I'm really good at binge watching stuff so if i can't binge it i'm not <laughs> yeah she got she got me on the couch for like four hours the other day with yeah. it <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I should get like a gold medal in like binge watching shows. It just, yeah. So if you're listening, like it's very critical, like you do need to find a show that you and your spouse can agree on so that you can just spend some couch time just chilling out. Like even if you don't love it, like just suck it up and, you know, get into it as best you can. Longmire is another one we would recommend. We're really into like those country shows, those Westerns and stuff. We'll like, yeah, yeah. Yeah really like to yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute but cool. it is interesting so nope is your favorite word because <laughs> i don't know is my wife's favorite phrase i say the word really a lot like really really <laughs> and then there's a lot of like eye bulging too like yeah you can't see the look she's giving me yeah I'm like, i know really? it by heart <laughs> yeah that's not you hear the word and you're like uh oh i'm in trouble this is not going to go well or no like, i i live for it though yeah, uh, yeah he eggs me I on play, a lot i play with fire <laughs> He does. He plays with fire a lot. And yeah. Yep. Good luck. Good luck. I try not to play with fire. But stop. Speaking of fire, are you, you're, you're, um, you're going to be doing fire and brimstone with this Dungeons and Dragons stuff here? What's going on? <laughs> yes. I don't know if listeners remember, but at the 100K download celebration at Reckless, we sort of premiered the, the preview for a new podcast that is an RPG Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Welcome to Fantasy Pants, an actual play RPG podcast. With um, a few of the folks up in Bethlehem, you know, Steve and uh, Dave and Jeremy, um, they're up to like three episodes that have been published. So we were chatting one night and it was actually my idea because uh, I want to sort of put myself in that awkward, awful situation of having to role play and like do voices <laughs> and all that craziness. And I thought it'd be fun just like get out of the comfort zone. So I'll be making an appearance uh, on a few of their shows coming up soon. So people could check it out. It's Fantasy Pants. Welcome to Fantasy Pants. That's the name of the podcast. And I found it up on Podbean. You can find it elsewhere. I think it's up on Spotify as well. So I'll keep a lookout, but it's fun. I listened to the episodes today. I'm like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> they uh, gave me some homework. It's like I built, I built a character and I'm working on an avatar just to you know work off of and stuff. It's fun. Like that game intimidated me so much as a kid. I could not figure it out. Like this is way too complicated. So it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're cheating on me. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can take the plunge next. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But, uh, that's good. So fantasy pants. If you're looking for a new podcast, check it out. Welcome to fantasy pants. And then, um, we are going wicked long on this, this, um, 
Oh, speaking of which, speaking of wicked, <laughs> I got called out multiple times on. I thought we were going for long. Remember how I, <laughs> I was thinking that too? Like, long, please don't go remember, for long. Remember how we were talking about the Boston accent? And I yes. was like, well, I really kind of, I kind of hide my Boston accent. I got called out by multiple people. They're like, Mike, you do not hide your Boston accent. So I was so, I was kind of crushed, but I just, I'll own it. I love a Boston accent. I tell him this too all the time when we go into Boston. I'm like, bring him. Bring, give them, give all, like, I want all the Boston accents. Like, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> like, when we go to the Celtics games, I'm just like, oh my God. This is. Probably, probably my favorite is actually belongs to, to someone Stomp knows on the search and rescue is uh, Captain Chris. Oh, hell I yeah. Could, I could listen to him tell any story any day. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, I had not thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, no doubt about it. I did hear in the news today that they don't think the Boston accent will ever actually go away, though. I think they'll always be there because Boston is so prideful of, of who they are that will always be around. Uh, like there's news stories I about thought, this. I thought it was maybe they keep giving Casey Affleck commercial spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do yourself a favor and go into YouTube and look up Casey Affleck Dunkin' Donuts commercial on SNL. Okay. You will oh, cry. It's so I good. I think I've cry. seen that before, but I'll, I'll check that yeah. out tonight. But uh, I was just like, I was shocked at how many people reached out to me and they were like, Mike, you, you have a Boston accent. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. They, they, they said the same thing about you, Stomp, but I, I don't, I didn't get it from you as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Who knows? I grew up All with right, a so German last, grandmother. Maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. You're in the midst of it. Covered up a little bit. So, all right. Last topic before we get into the show. Um, the show intro here. So we're like going to be 40 minutes in here, but, um, there's been a number of cheating scandals, and I, I just find this fascinating to me. Like, I feel like anytime there's a chance for you to do any kind of activity, like humans will find a way to cheat. Oh, is this the and fish the, one? Well, there's multiple the ones. Bunch. So these are all like what you would call basically like dumb pursuits or, or like, you know, not athletic, but like, you know, mentally challenging type pursuits or, or behavior. One of them is not, but... First, you have chess. So there's been a chess scandal with um, the world's greatest chess guy is this guy, Magnus Carlsen. And uh, these guys are both from the U.S., although neither of them sounds like they are. But Magnus Carlsen is the, like, he's been like the, basically Michael Jordan of chess for like seven or eight years now. He played um, this young 19-year-old kid named Hans Niemann. And it was, they, they call it over the board. So it's face to face and, and Hans beat Magnus, which was like a huge upset. And then, um, Magnus basically immediately like did this vague tweet about like, I can't get into it because I don't know, I'll get myself in trouble or whatever. But it came out that this guy Hans has been cheating on online chess. And now like he's being accused of cheating, um, on over the board game. So they don't know if he's got like a buzzer in his his like foot or if he's got something vibrating or a little computer in his foot or some people have said he has like things stuck up his his nether regions mm. to like signal so it's a weird thing but they basically have found out that the kid has been prolifically cheating in online chess for for like a hundred games or something so that's confirmed that the the online piece of it's confirmed the over the board piece they don't know yet yeah mm. so we got that one. Then we've got a poker scandal. So there was like a um, a TV poker situation where a pro player was playing against a lady who had just entered like the high stakes games. 
it was like a $260,000 pot. And the professional guy had an open-ended straight flush draw and he went all in on the turn card, which is basically like when three cards are down. And then this lady had a jack high and she decided to, um, I guess the, the guy had raised her or something like that. And she ended up coming over the top and went all in, which is something that like it would never happen because, you know, you get $250,000 on the, on the line. And he ended up, the guy that had the straight flush draw ended up losing to her. She had a jack high. But they had said that like that would have never happened. And then there's like people videotaping and they're seeing like she's got vibrations in her like belt and they're all claiming that she cheated. So it's a whole controversy within poker. And then the third one is a phishing scandal that Mike had just talked about. Did you see that one, Mike? Yeah. 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 A few you times. You want to break that one down? Um, these two gentlemen who have won multiple other tournaments and I guess their collective winnings is something over 300,000 over the last couple of years, um, new fishing yep. boats and whatnot. Well, they, they were on the line for $30,000 in this particular walleye tournament out in Ohio. Um, and the guy weighing the fish, like you, you look at the fish and they're the same length as some of the other fish, but they're 10 pounds heavier. Like, you know, how is that happening? They wind up taking one of them, just cuts it open, pulls out, yells i've got weights and it, oh, like man. if you just listen to the audio it's hilarious if you like remove <laughs> the fact someone cheated you know you just hear the guy yelling we've got weights That's um amazing. you know and he pulled out several like one pound lead weights but not only did he put the weights in there they put other walleye fillets into the fish <laughs> is this like a turducken but with uh, fish uh, but with fish but they they supposedly caught these fish they weren't mm -hmm. cooking them or anything they were yeah. just weighing them and they put these extra fillets in mm -hmm. so, yeah, wow yeah. and it's kind of funny because like they would like you know the fish are all the same size like you can't tell the difference between one fish or the other and they're like <laughs> they weigh the second place people and they're like it's 16 pounds i think i don't know how these fishing things work it looks like they take like take your five best fish and then weigh them all and they had like the second place team had like five fish and they were like they weigh 16 pounds or whatever then this, these two idiots, I guess they've been cheating forever, but they got super greedy and their five fish are the same size as the other ones. And they're like 33 pounds. They're like twice the size and yeah. twice the weight of the other ones. So every, and there's like, they all seem, I guess these fishing people, they all have uniforms. I don't understand that they have, this, they all seem to be wearing like these same uniform type things with all these advertisers and, um, they all just start circling these two guys and they're screaming. And one guy's like cutting all the fish open and he's pulling these lead weights out of the stomach. It was crazy. And credit to that guy too, because he tried to get, let, tell the crowd, you know, to calm down and he just let them go. You know, don't, don't touch them. Don't do anything stupid. You know, he, he did a pretty good job of that crowd control that we were, we were hoping to talk about earlier. <laughs> now, now everybody just sit on down and relax. Uh, you really need yeah, to get all the uniforms and like this, they have these like shirts with advertising on. It's very interesting. Hmm. Um, so as I was putting this section together, late breaking news, Jen, this is for you. Miss USA 2022 has a cheating scandal. Oh, I thought it was a different I've, one. Was it the Filipino? I was so yeah, excited. She cheated. Oh, she cheated. You, you 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 have to answer for your people. I was going to say <laughs> I I will not represent my people right now. Okay. Cuz okay, like I was right, I literally so, posted on my Instagram that Miss Texas won Miss USA. Now I need to like retract that. Oh, you do. You need to Oops. So you're going to have to retract. <laughs> so here's what happened. 
breaking news. Breaking and I get news. this from, you know, I got the TikTok thing going on with the kids. Yeah. So we all let each other I'm know. So, I'm so sad. So, so here's what happened is apparently Miss USA, I don't know, we're going to get canceled by the hiking community. Tom's already like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> this is interesting. Shame. So Miss USA Shame. is apparently owned by this one lady. You know how like Vince McMahon owns the WWE? Like this one lady owns the Miss USA contest. And apparently she has two businesses. She runs the pageant and then she also has this school which teaches people how to be Miss USA. So you go to her school and it'll teach you how to be a pageant lady. So the girl from Miss Texas who won in 2022, this happened over the weekend, Mm -hmm. she was one of the only people that attended the owner of Miss USA's, Miss USA school, right? So there's two businesses. So when she was announced the winner, typically these things like apparently what ends up happening is like the winner wins and then all the 50 girls come and they hug her and they congratulate her and everything. No, when she got announced, everybody just walked off the stage and everyone's like, that's kind of weird. So what ended up happening is everybody was kind of rumbling saying that like this was in the, you know, the, the owner of the Miss USA pageant was way too friendly with Miss Texas and that everyone was like, she's definitely going to win. She's getting all the attention. One of the sponsors was like posting only pictures of her throughout the week. And then what ended up happening is that after she was announced, everyone was kind of like, we don't have any proof of this, but it seems like she was like the favorite to win it. What ended up happening is that the next morning, the Miss USA contest posted a video of Miss Texas in a spa of one of the sponsors that's in Cancun. Mm -hmm. And they had taken all of the girls down to this spa like a few weeks ago, but or, or maybe like six or eight weeks ago to do promotional videos. But Miss Texas and Miss Colorado were not there because their pageants hadn't been finalized. So they were the only two that were not there. So, all the girls basically put together that after Miss Texas won her state tournament or competition, they took her to this place in Cancun by herself to film promotional videos so they would have it ready for when the next day after she had won the contest. So they already knew that she was going to win it. And then they also found out that they took her in the middle of the night, the night before the end of the contest to do like promotional videos on the roof of the hotel when all the other girls were required to stay in their rooms after 10, 10 p.m. Wow. So they're all freaking out about it. Well, breaking news right there for you. Yep. So Miss Miss Texas is canceled. Did you notice the level of depth and detail that Mike provided to us on this scandal? I was doing it. You know what, Mike? He did it, it for remi- me. Reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where Kramer Kramer has to train the pageant contestant. Yeah. Oh, I remember that one. That one was good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is, that, is that what you do in your part-time, Mike? No. Is that no, why you don't hike as much anymore? I was researching this. I wanted to make sure I had all my I's dotted and my T's crossed so that Jen wouldn't have any questions about it. Do you know how I to hold your head actually. up straight now, too? I didn't, or? I didn't know that, actually. I, I literally posted earlier today that she had won. Now I really do need to take that down. Oh I was so God. proud for him that for a just second. Just go, go on down the rabbit hole. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Yeah. Don't wow. mess with Filipinos, I guess, too, right? That's yeah, me. Right. I'm slightly embarrassed that I know that much detail about it. So let's move on yeah. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, welcome to episode 77 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we welcome our friends Mike and Jen Keen to the show. This husband and wife duo are prolific white mountain hikers who will share some stories of their adventures hiking in and around the whites. 
They've also been rounding out their hiking resumes over the last few years with numerous trips out west to explore 31 national parks. So we're going to ask them to give us their highlights and recommendations on where to check out if we're going out west. Jen will also share a cool story about locating her father's long-lost cabin in Colorado. And then I'm going to dig into their origin story about finding love through hiking. Aww. Later Aww. in the show, <laughs> Stomp will break down the latest search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Stomp, if you want to dig into how they found love on the trail, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Love on the Trail, the new reality show brought to you by Slasher. <laughs> this Sorry, week. Mike and Jen. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you got that good gender mix now. I would like not watch this reality 46. show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this would be the part of the show where we normally do beer talk, but we're all, I'm doing Sober October. I don't know about you. It's not. <laughs> I sure am. I've felt fantastic. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's like, been like a day. Yeah. It's been what, three or four days? But uh, yeah, like within two days, you start sleeping better and um, just your energy. Like I'm I'm waking up at like four in the morning now with super motivation and everything else. And uh, it's been great. It's awesome. You start watching more pageant shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more time to squeeze in the pageants. It's just epic. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's been my running. I've gone thing. from nine minute miles down to six minute miles already. It's three days. No drinking. Are you serious? No. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like wow, that's like impressive even like, you know. <laughs> that's... No, I would. And you guys don't, so Mike, I know, I remember when we first started hanging out, you were just, you, I think you were just starting to sort of like not drink, but you, you still don't drink, right? Correct. Correct. I'll be uh, six years sober, November 7th. And I'm, if you're six, I'm close to Five, I believe. I'm a year behind you, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. How long have you guys been married for? Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. All right. So you both basically sober, no drinking, nothing like that. Nope. Right. Got it. Yeah. And it it works for us too. You know, we've had that discussion before since we're both sober and we don't, you know, we both have our different reasons and stuff like that um, and everything. But it works out great because when we go out to gatherings or whatever, you know, we can, we go to concerts and we don't, you know, one of us is, isn't, you know, we're both not drinking and stuff. Yeah. I was still drinking when I was first getting into hiking and I can definitely say it. I I don't want to hate to use the phrase held me back. But there were a lot of plans abandoned quickly so I could go to the brewery for the next new release or this or that. And um, yeah, it was, it was nice to get a lot of that time back along with a lot of the other things that go along with, with finding sobriety. I stopped drinking just because honestly, just waking up early for those early morning hikes. You know, I'm an early riser <laughs> and I just wanted to feel really good when I woke up at like, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever. And it just naturally, for me, it just naturally segued out, you know. You know, I, I get people who ask me sometimes, it, it's all about finding your own bottom, you know, when you decide to, to stop, you know, and some people's bottoms aren't anywhere near as, you know, shallow as others or, you know, and whatnot. Um, I went to AA for about two years uh, out of my first, you know, out of my six years sober now and um, definitely helped a lot. You know, so if, if anyone's struggling out there, just, you know, go online, you know, look for your nearest AA meeting, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. You know, it's, 
And if you've got a friend, you can't push them into it. You just got to be there and, and be ready when, when they need the help. So. Yeah. 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 I remember, um, so we'll talk about this probably later, but me and Mike met, like we, we sort of met uh, through a, a hiking group and, you know, the first time we got together was like a, what a three hour drive up to Baxter state park. So we were, I remember you telling me sort of a bits and pieces of this story when we were driving up and I remember mm-hmm. going to, you know, I don't think that there was a lot of drinking going on that weekend, no. but I do remember like at night there was, you know, people were having a drink or two. Um, and I remember looking at you and thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, I hope, I hope this isn't like uh, too difficult, but you know, six years in now, I can imagine it's not that big of a deal. No, I mean, I, in everyone's journey is, you know, a little bit different. And, you know, I definitely have put myself in some spots, you know, during my sobriety that, you know, not everyone's comfortable doing And And, you know, you, you, you get there when you get there, when you can walk into a bar and not think twice about it. And, um, you know, each, each their own, as far as that goes. He shows up to my parents' house with beers for my stepdad. You know, he always tries to find like my stepdad likes to drink his beer. And so he as a treat to him as a thank you always is he shows up with like a a local microbrew or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I still have an appreciation for for a, a good brew and, and how it's brewed. I still think of it as as an art form for sure. Mm-hmm. I, you know, getting into the the brewing aspect of it at the end of my drinking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we've had those talks before, too, of like if in theory you could have like one one final drink you know what we what would we each have and stuff and we've had we so we, we can have these open conversations with each other and not have it spiral or anything like that because we're we're always having like open communication yeah. about every subject out there and just bouncing off of each other yep. you know so yeah and i um i'll probably we'll go back to my like I, i'm sort of down to like one beer a week like during the show and every once in a while i'll have a beer like at a cookout or something like that, but it's it's definitely like I come from a family that's had a lot of drinkers, and I don't want to ever go down that path. So I, I respect the uh, the ability to stay completely sober. It's not easy. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> my mom likes my mom likes a margarita. Man, she still offers me. She a drink. still offers him drinks when we go. She knows we don't drink, like, and she's like, "Who wants a margarita?" She's just being cordial. See, my story is I'm on the forever quest for moderation. There you go. <laughs> yes. I'm stuck. When I find it, I'll let you know. But I actually uh, was acquainted with a, uh, a Catholic apologist down in uh, north of Boston, uh, Tom Howard. And his famous quote was, but it's our Lord's specialty, referring to when Jesus turned the water into wine. It was just genius. I'll never forget that line. So for me, it, it's about moderation. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, uh, I totally understand uh, the angle where somebody can hit the point where they're heading low and they cannot stop. And that's a, that's a tough place to be. But yeah. Some people have yeah. a few branches left on the tree on the way down. Some people hit every branch there. <laughs> just, you know, I yeah. think I hit just about every branch there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to um, recent hike stops. So I have nothing to share. Yeah. At this point, I am going to go out. I think I'm going to do Carrigan on Saturday. Ooh. I'm going to do the big loop. I'm going to go down to Carrigan Notch and come back up Desolation and down Signal. Wow. Okay. Make sure you take a picture of the shoot while you're passing by. <laughs> I will. I'm going to check it out. But yeah, I think it's like 13 or 14 miles. Yeah. So I'm going to get rolling early. Wow. Okay. That's great. 
Um, I, I got out to Peaked Hill Pond just the other day, and that's a really nice little hike in uh, Thornton area. So uh, the foliage is kicking in there, and um, there's a really neat point in this little hike where there's an ancient ash. It has to be about 10-foot diameter. I mean, it, it's pretty stunning. Wow. It's still, it looks as though it's healthy and it's still vibrant. Um, it's definitely an ancient ash though. Bigger than the uh, big pines up in Waterville, mm-hmm. if you've seen those. So, very cool spot. Nice. I wonder if the oldest tree in New Hampshire is known. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good good question. I mean, I'm sure that there are spots in the whites that haven't seen foot traffic at all. But uh, so much of it was logged back in the day. I mean, who knows? I feel like I've heard that there's some king pines that are like still marked even from like when they would with the king's like emblem or whatever that are still out in these woods somewhere like deep in. I've heard of that before and stuff. But there, I never even thought about that until I saw that picture. Isn't there a place on the Conway side? with another batch of old growth. I'm pretty certain there is. Like there is. I forget the name of it, but Ed Bailey was telling me about that many years ago. Uh, I think it's on that side of the state, but yeah. Anyway, there were patches here and there. Interesting. I might have to do some research. What about you, you guys, any, any recent hikes you've done? Anything cool you want to share? We did the uh, Percy Peaks Saturday. Yes. Um, can attest the, the foliage was looking pretty good, so it's definitely going to be at its peak this weekend. Those are really nice. Those yeah. are nice and out of the way, out of people. Yeah, we didn't see anyone until we were coming down. You know, we still had only, we probably had like two miles left. <clears throat> they were the only other ones we saw. It's great. Nice and quiet. Do south first so you can spend more time on north. You haven't been out there. Love me some north country. Awesome. Did you guys go out like the back way and do the little road walk to the end? Yeah. 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 We did that. Yep. Yep. So awesome. That was nice. It was just pretty to do that little road walk after. Um, yeah. If you want an easier approach, I suggest doing the road walk first and going up that back way. Um, it's, it's yeah. much more. So go, you'd go like clockwise yeah. then versus yeah, counter. Go, there we go. She's got the easier way to explain it. <laughs> yeah. I love Nash stream. I didn't even mind the road walk at the end. I did it. I did yeah. it at no. the end and I had like a little deer, a little baby deer, like walking on the road in front of me. And so it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty area up there. It's very pretty. Yeah. We usually like going up to the, the more Northern section of the whites. This time of we year. can avoid the crowd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good Grafton strategy. Which would be a good area to go like old, old spec or any of those areas would be nice to hit this weekend too yeah i'm actually that's where he's headed, going yeah i'm headed up to a stretch of the mahoosics with uh bk noonan oh, over nice. the weekend so nice quiet backpacking awesome that is a great area there so um but that's it for recent hike stomp you want to share any notable listeners you want to wait till next week uh just a couple yet yeah, we have um full strength coffee tackled kearsage north for sunrise jakester d2 uh who we met at the celebration did clam rock camped at clam rock, uh, basically up great golf and down Nelson crag. I, I don't know where that is. I have an inkling, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Clam rock. Or? Yes. Clam rock. So it, you were talking about, a. I think Mike was talking about a spot in the great Gulf camping wise. If you continue about a mile or two past that along the Peabody river, it's on the um, left side of the river as you head into the Gulf. It's a nice spot. Okay. Awesome. 
So it's below tree line. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, one with the speed did North and South Baldface and Eagle Crag. Congrats, everybody. So any particular one that you like out of that batch, Mike? I'm always going to go with the bald faces. My favorite. Bald faces. <laughs> oh, Shandy will be happy. <laughs> yes. Nice work, Shandy. Yeah. I'm going to wear my college shirt this weekend when I go hiking. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And we have, uh, let's see, do you want to do some donations here? Oh, Speaking yeah. of Shandy, she donated 14 coffees, like holy moly. And that's for Mike's shirts and uh, Stomp's security detail. <laughs> yeah. These are so funny to read on Instagram, by the way, that when people do the coffees in this, this is hilarious. <laughs> this yeah. is funny, right? Yeah. It's so silly. And then we have some uh, sponsors briefly, Spinner's Pizza. People are still cruising in there and uh, supporting local business. Thank you so much. It's Andover, Massachusetts. It's off Dascom Road, off 93. So number one pizza in, in that region. Andover. Andover, Mass. Yes. Andover. <laughs> <laughs> and EMS, your Northeast go-to for mm-hmm. outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. And of course, at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun. Just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. There you go. The Five Corners. Yeah. <laughs> I screwed up. I didn't let you do the um, the sponsors before the show intro. Do you think I should give my Dungeons and Dragons character a Boston accent? Yes. 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 I am for this. I will listen if you do the Boston accent. Stop character. All right. Troll from Boston. <laughs> Welcome to Fantasy Fans. Oh, wicked pissa. This is a wicked pissa just game. Listen, just listen to some Mayor Menino, you know, clips. That'll do it for you. And have a rolling wally. He was great. Oh, my God. Above what was all about. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. All right, enough. Focus, focus here. So um, segment one. So this is welcoming Mike and Jen. So we're going to do a deep dive interview on you guys. So... Um, so we wanted to have our friends, Mike and Jen Keen on to talk a little bit about hiking. Jen's got some good stories. I've known Mike and Jen through, um, through hiking for years now. And, uh, Stomp, you, you've known Jen and Mike too, right? Not as much as you. I, I've hiked with Jen once in the winter. We did Tom Field Willie with a yes. whole bunch of folks. Yeah. And, uh, Mike and I, I, we've never hiked. No, we've just bumped into each other a couple of times. <laughs> I see your, yeah, and I see your truck a lot heading up here and everything. Oh, do you really? Yeah, I do. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Without a driver, of course, because I, I sit way back. <laughs> Everybody comments on that. Anyway, yeah, but I see your exploits and you're prolific, as Mike says. <laughs> it's very oh, kind of boy. you to say. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to interview Mike here first. So, um, so I guess just to start off with Mike, before I let you talk, I'm going to talk some more because I don't talk enough. Um, <laughs> I met Mike through just like, a, I think it was the Northeast Hiking Group's our friend Phil. Greater Northeast Backpacking and Hiking. That's it. Very good. G&E. Um, G&E. 
Yeah. So um, good good group on Facebook. And then they were organizing like a hike up to Baxter State Park and I hadn't been up there. So I think somehow we ended up connecting and driving up to Baxter. So nice three, four hour drive. And, and we hiked um, the main peak and then we went over to Hamlin and then had a little, you know, nice cookout and hangout, hung out at Able Campground for the weekend. That was a good trip, right, Mike? Have you been back up to yeah. Baxter since then? Every year. Yeah, at least once a year, every year. Actually, this year is my first year. I haven't I haven't gone up. Um, feels a little weird. It was almost tradition. I went back that same weekend every year, you know, up until now. Uh, trying to remember, who was it that was with us? Was it um, Jason? It was Jason Santos, and then yep. um, we had connected with somebody else. I forget his name. Um, and then he had dropped off, but we went up a ball and then it was kind of a crappy day to start off with. But when we came back over from Hamlin, like it, remember it opened up and yeah. it was just an yep. amazing fall day. Perfect weather. Yeah. It was gorgeous. It was Randy. That was the other general Randy, thing. Randy right. Hill. That's right. Hello, Randy. He still, he does a lot of overland stuff. I follow him on Instagram still. Yeah. I don't know what you call Like he's got like a, um, like a truck where he can basically like, survive with off the grid it's, it's interesting yeah but so, no that was a great trip it was yeah. uh, really a great intro to that park it's become kind of a special place and um, I, I hope it always they keep it that way but we'll we'll see we'll see what the future holds <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so anyway and then you know we bumped into each other hiking a bunch of times um through the years as well but um, why don't you i guess mike introduce yourself a little bit talk about your background in the outdoors and how you got into hiking um and then we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about um you know your background and then we'll switch over to jen for her to introduce herself sure sure um i i still fondly remember uh, a childhood trip up to a friend's camp in freedom new hampshire and driving through the notch and just you know just always having the silhouette, you know, the mountains and the cliffs and whatnot in my head. Um, but I honestly didn't start hiking until, I mean, I, I tried hiking. This sounds silly now, but I, I tried hiking in Adnock as part of a hiking club I ran in college. And we got like partway up and we, we turned around. <laughs> I didn't hike again for another like six years. Um, and I just kind of dove headlong into the whites and, you know, through different groups like G&E and others, I, I met some great people like, like yourself, Michael, and you know, eventually Jen, and um, you know, some other people that you, you've had on here: Eric Todd Sweet, Steve Mason, um, that whole Misfits group, and you know, we've all kind of gone along on our ways. And um, you know, I've done the forty-eight, I've done the sixty-seven. We've dabbled in New York, um, about seven peaks out there in the Adirondacks, and uh, you know, we just keep finding reasons to go back out there. Now, you did you grow up in New Hampshire? I did. I did. I grew up in Nashua. Nashua. Okay. And then, so you, you, when you were a kid, you did a little bit of getting out there, but for the most part, you just, do you remember what it was that just, you woke up one morning and you were like, I want to get into hiking? I, I can't recall a, a singular moment where, where it happened. Although I have this funny story my mother likes to remind me of occasionally about taking me to the polar caves when I was a 14, I believe. Yeah. And uh, for the day, and then she was going to take my brother and I out for a hike the next day. And we both woke up the next morning, teenagers complaining about, oh, our legs hurt. You know, you, you had us walking around so much yesterday. <laughs> uh, no, so she gets a pretty good chuckle seeing some of the hikes I do now. You know, you know likes to remind me of that moment here and there. But, um, you know, she was definitely more the, the 
outgoing parent, the one who was willing to go out to cliff edges and whatnot. So I, I guess I get a little of that inspiration from her and a little more from my, my grandmother, her mother, um, used to do a lot of cross country skiing up in the whites. Um, there's a nice photo of her. I have, uh, right outside of Lincoln woods. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that's interesting. I'm disappointed though. I would have thought you would have had like your yeah. one moment where you're like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm in love with hiking now, and I'm gonna remember this for the rest of my life." I mean, I the first real big hike I got taken up was Eisenhower, um, and that was my first 4K, and I just sit. I sat up there probably for an hour, you know, just looking at it all. You know, and I still have those photos. And I still have them, um, and I still look at them, and you know, it's it's just neat you know once you get that first big taste like you said um you know it it's hard to not keep chasing it yeah and do you have like particular like favorite area in the white mountains that you you go to um i really like mount monroe um i think i've been up there nine times i, I don't know i i've stopped keeping track the last couple of years i <laughs> um i'm not anti-list but i'm also not not much of a lister anymore um but I, I like Monroe. I like the Mahoosic area. Um, I like the lesser explored parts of the Pemi. Um, you know, we, we did a nice little saunter out there with our friend Mike last fall. Um, you know, not above tree line, just, you know, in the trees. You were talking about it last week, walking in like that, that tree tunnel and, and seeing the colors and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes that's almost as good as getting above tree line and seeing for 50 to a hundred miles. Uh, and yeah. Jen and I both, we really fell in love with, the main 14 uh 14 4kers in maine uh when we were out there doing our 67 that's I, you know the whites are is nice but it's a little weird to always look off and see a highway or a town you know when you're on the 4ks in maine you look out and there's just nothing for miles <laughs> it's, it's it's nice yeah, and then I think the last time I ran into you, you were solo on Garfield. But do you do you get out like so? You going out with BK this weekend? Like, do you yep. tend to get out like solo more, or do you go out with with a small group of friends? Um, kind of a mix. I mean, a, a lot more solo and one on ones than than any uh, real group hikes um, the last couple of years. I mean, there was a stretch there, I, and. You know, I've got some people that would like to remind me that, you know, <laughs> we may have broke wilderness rules here and there, but, you know, we it, there was a stretch there where, where there were a lot of group hikes. Um, you know, my preference, it really all depends on the day, on what kind of day I want to have. And um, I, I'm definitely more into the smaller group stuff now. And um, yeah. Great. And then can you talk about, have you ever had any close calls? Like I never asked you this, but have you ever had a situation where you thought like, oh crap, I'm going to need a rescue? Um, I, I've never been hurt while out hiking. Um, my buddy Ryan like to remind me of the first time he and I hiked together. And I, I swear he and I, the first hike we planned, which was hail, which, we, you know, we, we both canceled on due to weather. I had already made him aware that I'm a type one diabetic, insulin dependent and whatnot. And well, I, lo and behold, we're doing the Hancocks. It's first week of April. So there's still plenty of snow on the ground. There was a snowstorm the day before, you know, we'd really like pushed hard to get up and, you know, go across and we're coming down and I, I could feel myself lagging. Like I just was not having a good time. And I, one of those rare moments where I like had to tell whoever I was hiking with, listen, I need to sit down, have a snack and do nothing for about a half hour. <laughs> um, and that, that really freaked him out. Cause um, I, I guess I, 
didn't tell him or didn't remind him. <laughs> so he had no idea the whole time he's hiking with this type one diabetic, you know, whose blood sugar could crash out at any point. And, um, you know, I, I've been a type one diabetic since I was five. So I, I've got a pretty good feel of when things are coming on. Um, and I've been knocking wood lucky enough not to lose consciousness during a, a low blood sugar event. Um, for any of those of you who are aware of what a low blood sugar event is, um, it's the level of your glucose in your blood and it gets low to a certain point. You you start to lose bodily functions. You act like you're drunk or you're high. You slur your speech. Um, you get tunnel vision. Sometimes you lose your vision. Um, you get dizzy, nauseous. I mean, everyone gets, you know, a few different aspects of, of those experiences on a low blood sugar event. And um, when you're hiking, that can definitely scare the crap out of you because you're like, there's five more miles to go. <laughs> And I'm on my last snack, and I hope that lasts me. <laughs> our our hikes are often brought to you by Reese's, yep. Reese's Cups. So. <laughs> yep, that's my recovery snack That's his recovery snack, yeah. We always have those with us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep. Now, do you have, like, with the insulin, do you have, like, one of those pumps that automatically, like, gives you insulin, or do you just manage it on your own, kind of old school? Um. No, I'm not on an insulin pump. Honestly, they've kind of gotten away from pushing the insulin pumps. Um, what they really push in now are what they call constant glucose monitors or CGMs. Um, I got one finally. I, I've been a bad diabetic for a couple of years, but you know, a few weeks ago, I'm attached. It's always Bluetooth to my phone. It gives me a constant reading. It gives me a trend arrow telling me if I'm going up or going down. Um, this weekend was actually the first hike I've done while wearing one, and it was kind of eye-opening <laughs> um you know as much as i might always feel something you, you don't feel everything you don't always know exactly where you are so to see exactly how much your blood sugar drops even in that first 45 minutes of hiking activity um you know really lets you know that you, you need to kind of replan what you're doing at the beginning of the hike as a diabetic um so it'll be interesting. This will be my first backpacking trip wearing it. So, you know, I, I usually don't bring a backup battery for my phone because usually I just put it on airplane mode. I ignore the phone the whole time. I, I'm going to have to leave the phone on for this trip. So I'll need to have a backup battery. And, you know, it'll be an interesting little trip to kind of test that out. You said it's on your phone, like um, an app? Yeah, it's 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 an app on my phone. And it's, oh, I see. It, yeah. Interesting. You guys can't see, but it's this little device like on the side of my stomach. Um, interesting. Yeah. And do you I have to replace it. it every now and then? Uh, every 10 days. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, wow. It scares what? our cats when it goes off because it beeps. Oh. Yeah. That was a <laughs> beep you heard earlier. That's the beep oh, that you heard so. earlier. Okay. I thought yeah. that was your phone. Like no. I thought that was Cumberland going, what the hell no. are you? No, no, it's that. And in the middle of the night, if he, if he's, if we're, if we're sleeping, yeah. it'll go off in the middle of the night. Yeah. Too. Gotcha. My blood sugar's high or my blood yeah. sugar's low. So do you have a, an Apple or uh, or an iPhone or, or Samsung? You have an Android. I mean, my work phone's an iPhone, so I have both. Gotcha. <laughs> I was just imagining. I prefer the Android. Hey, Siri, what's my blood sugar? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. And then so when your blood sugar gets down to a certain point, if you're hiking, like you may be in a situation where you're sort of stuck and you can't move for a, a set amount. Like, do you have to be even more careful in the winter or does the weather not really make a difference? It's just the exertion. In my head, I have to be more careful. I would never tell another diabetic, you know, what, what works for them. Everyone's, you know, even as diabetic, diabetic, their bodies work a little differently. But um, winter, I definitely try to run my blood sugar up a little higher um, simply because, as I stated earlier, 
I if I have to stop, I'm sitting still for a half hour. And as you guys talked a bit in the last episode about hypothermia, it doesn't take long for that to set in. If you're sweaty and you're just sitting there, um, so I what I've gotten better about doing is packing you know some dry layers in the winter. Um, so if I do have to get to a point where I'm stopped, I can change into the dry layers. I can put those on. You know, try to keep the hypothermia at bay as much as I can when I'm handling one of those episodes. Um, speaking about it, there was actually a second episode, but not one where I felt like search and rescue, but one where I definitely scared Gwen quite a bit. Um, you know, we were doing a Davis path traverse. Uh, we went up from Pinkham notch and we're going out to three Oh two. And I think we were about a mile away from Mount Crawford. And I just, she could tell, like I was just wandering all over each side of the trail. She's like, I think you need to stop for a minute. <laughs> and I was like, I just got to get to the next junction, which is my own bad habit is like, yeah. I hate stopping in the middle of nowhere. I just want to get to a junction. It's a logical stopping point in my head. Yeah. But you know, as a diabetic, I, I have to realize, you know, it, even for being a diabetic for 30 years, I still have to coach myself quite a bit. Sure. Fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. So you just, the stakes are a little bit higher. If you get to that exhaustion stage, you just have to make sure that you're yeah. paying a little bit more attention. It's not so much just like, I know when I get tired like that, I, I sit down and have like a Snickers bar for, and, you know, give it two, three minutes and then I'm on my way, but it's not, you don't have that luxury sometimes with diabetes. No, I mean, when I was doing my single day of Pemi loop a few years ago, I, you know, I was being good about it, I was testing my blood sugar and, you know, I had brought that out there with me. So, you know, I had quite a few extra snacks. You know, I got out to Boncliffe right at sunset and sat down. I have this funny picture of my machine with my blood glucose reading. I was like 65 at the time. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to, you know, much as I wanted to push for a good time, I probably spent three hours of my 15 hour day just sitting still um, because I just was battling low blood sugar all day. But that comes with having, you know, running around trying to do 30 miles of hiking. So, yeah, um, wow. there was actually one stretch uh, leading up to Liberty um, on the Franconia Ridge where I, I sat for about an hour just trying to let my blood sugar get back up there. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Well, Any other nice. like secondary issues like neuropathy, like t- anything odd? That's always a concern, yeah. um, but so far so good. good, um, good. You know, the doctor was really impressed. I guess one of the other signs is that I still, good signs is that I still uh, TMI maybe I have hair still on the top of my foot. Oh, sure. Um, I guess when you start to develop neuropathy, the hairs on the top of your feet start to fall out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know that none of that's happening. I still feel every little thing they try to do with my feet. Yeah. Um, knock on wood. So cool. Well, thank God for those furry feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know how hobbit they are. They're size 12. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, the hairy part, but uh, we'll give you, we'll give you a rest and we're going to, Jen's going to talk a little bit here. So I think stomp, I'm trying to think back like Jen. So you've been like a sort of a, like a social, you've been on social media a long time, pretty well known, stepped away from it. I think over the last year or so. um, We got off of Facebook in the, um, around the elections we and then we just are strictly on instagram since then and stuff like that so we left facebook because of all the clutter and noise that was happening during covid and politics and you know yeah 
You just God like you, you probably like that's just a sign that you're 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 sane and stable to get away from the nonsense on social yeah. media. So we just decided to get away from Facebook and just go to switch over to Instagram instead. So we've been there hanging out since then, pretty much. Yeah, we got back from a vacation and we just mentally did not like where we still were at. So that was that was a choice we came to. Yeah. Yeah, I know many people that have done that. I'm trying to do it. It's not easy, but. Um, but I think Jen, we met like, so we've known each other over social media. And then I think we met at the white mountain triathlon. Mm -hmm. Um, we did like a team competition. So it's not me and Jen did like a team competition. We're like the gold medal champion of the team white mountain triathlon. So we've won our category. Yeah. That's epic. Nice job. Go team. It was just us in the category. What what did we do? Like, I think I did the swim and then the bike and then you did the run, right? Yes. Yep. That was exactly it. And then, cause you, yeah, you did that. And then I ran around the lake and then again, we won our category, but it was just us, but it's still, we were still number one. That's true. She made me do the hard part. I had to swim. Yeah. Yeah. I got to stand around while he swam and biked. I'm just I'm just a runner. I just run. She doesn't yeah. like water. Yeah, I don't like water anyways. Yeah, Creeps me out. But yeah, so then we did meet then. Yep. And then we've known each other through social media prior to that. Yep. And I think yeah. we were, you were looking for um someone to help you out or something. And then Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I will, I'm always a good wingman. Yeah, we had a whole big wingman. group of people, Jimmy Chaga and Casey and that whole crew were there. So yeah, I remember yeah. that. So. Yep. Remember that race good. actually. Yeah, so I don't Jim see won't. too much of you posting about running. You're posting more about hiking. I do run. I go to the yeah. gym. Yeah. I've done races and stuff like that. And cool. I keep my minutes per mile at a nice, happy place for me. She signed me up for a half marathon the same day I moved in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's so. true love. Welcome but to yeah. the family. <laughs> yep. You're going to be doing well, the 5K on Thanksgiving every year. Welcome home, honey. It's a half marathon. Yeah. Love you. <laughs> no, so I do like to run and I just run for myself. Um, and then I've done races and half marathons um, throughout the years and everything like that. But just to keep the pep in the step. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, why don't you, can you give a little bit of background on your, your, I guess your history in the outdoors and how you got into hiking and, and, and talk a little bit about the you know, sort of your, your origin story. So my origin story starts probably actually to my parents because um, I was born and raised in Littleton, New Hampshire. So I always said to Mike when he married me, I'm like, I'm as North Country as they get because our roots on my dad's side go back to the area to like the 1800s. Um, and so I grew up in the Whites, like I said. Um, my dad took us out um, in all of his free time and we'd be fishing in the rivers like throughout like Gill River and Garfield, that area. Um, my brother recently went out and found some old fishing trails and stuff like that with his um, kids. And my dad would take us out to the huts, out to Zealand. Um, my girlfriend growing up when we were little, he'd take us up to Mount Willard um, with a couple chocolate bars. You can go a long ways bribing some kids with chocolate. And it worked for us. And that's, I think, honestly, where I got my quick pace because he, my dad was a tall man and so we'd have to keep up with him. And so I have a long stride. He always wonders like where my stride comes from, but growing up, like I said, keeping up with my dad um, throughout the trails and everything is just, I gotta keep going. I'd have to run to keep up with her walk. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So, so that's what I've always been out in the woods in this area throughout, like I said, like my whole life. Um, yeah, I've just born, I don't know. It's just in my blood. It just really is. We, my dad would make us like tree forts in like the woods behind his house. Um, there's stories of me that I remember like walking on like hornet's nest, like on the ground when we were little fishing in these trails. And then with him as my father, he grew up also like bushwhacking everything. And I grew up with his stories, which created my own passion through his stories um, to hike and have all of his old white mountain books. And I have his journals of everything. Which are a treat to read. Which are a treat to read. He was a very good writer. Really? And then, yeah, he, he wrote, I have his journal here with me. He wrote like a writer. It doesn't read like a journal, like, you know, today we did this. It's so detailed, his thoughts. Um, so I just relished in his stories as a small child of like his adventures, you know, and then you kind of want to grow. You know, so I grew up with these things which made me want to go have my own adventures. And then I put that, I wanted to instill that with my own daughter, you know, generation for generation. Um, so I just, like I said, I have memories of like going to a lonesome lake as a small child um, and playing in those waters. And again, like Mount Willard and Zealand. And when, when did you and your dad first start going up Mount Washington every year? Oh, right. So my dad and I, we started going up Mount Washington, I believe. I don't remember what year. It must have been like 2014 or so. And even like after his passing, like his, his own family didn't know that he had like done Mount Washington with me like a bunch of times and everything. And then in his journals, he had, because um, you can mark down like what you've done. He's done, I think like 30, he had done 38 of them prior to, um, during his whole life. So he was really close. All back in the early 70s. And all back in like the early 70s. Like there's even one day where he like hiked the day before like I was born even. Like I don't, I think he did like the Hancocks the day before I was born. Um, but that's really where like my own personal passion like started was just the stories and the photos up on like our walls growing up and you know, the history that we have up here. So it's just always been like ingrained in me to love and respect this area. Yeah. Did you step away from it and then get back into hiking at some point? Yeah. So, um, when I moved away in like my early twenties, I, so I moved away in my early twenties and then I came back and then after I got divorced and after like a breakup and everything prior after that, that's when I got really into the 48. Um, I was hiking with a girlfriend and she told me about this list because you know, growing up here, just like, Oh, it's right there. You know what I mean? Like you don't think anything of it. And then, I was, you know, we talked about this list. And so we hiked, I think something, Liberty. And then from there, that's kind of when like, she was talking about how far along she was with her with her 48 list. And I was like, well, that seems pretty easy to me. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna try to catch up. And then me catching up to her, her number just started that fire of like, oh, so my first round of 48 is, was during a summer season, single season in the summertime of 2016, I believe. Yeah, she created so I just a monster. Like, Who was this I friend? Just, <laughs> I forgot her name, but yeah, she's just like, do you want to tag along for some peaks over the weekend? And I was like, wow, I've done like four of them over the course of just like the weekend. I was like, okay, I can do this. And then it, again, it just, that that for me was that moment of like, 
you know, like all out. That's what I did like in, like one, like after work in the mornings, you know, it just in between life is what I did was that for that summer. Just, you know, I one day I did like the Hancocks and I ran over to like Moose because I was like, I just got to get it done. Got to get it done. And then afterwards, after that round, I really decided to take the time and just enjoy them afterwards. You know, like Mike said, like, you know, over the past few years, we haven't really been counting anything and just you know, if I want to, I've gotten her to stop on summits. Mike. Yeah. That's been a big thing. Mike. Like actually enjoying like summits. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well you, so when you started taking Bella though, like you must've had to slow down a little bit too, when it came to like, although maybe not with her, I don't know. I get my impression is she's, she's got a little spunk in her too. She's got a pep in her step. Yeah. yeah. So Bella finished her 48 when she was, uh, she wanted to finish it by the time she, before she turned 12. So she finished it when she was 11 and that just started with, again, like I was going out playing around on the 48. So then she would come out with me and then, you know, she just enjoyed getting out and she still likes getting out. Yeah, um, the, the Percy's were actually her request. I asked her a couple of weekends ago, what, what do you want to do the next weekend? She's like, outside. I'm like, okay, yeah. Easy enough. <laughs> so she finished on um, West Bond and I was just so proud of her and everybody was really proud of her for doing that. And my dad was and the rest of our family, you know, to accomplish um, such a thing at such a young age. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that became like her, like our thing, just her and I for the long, for over the course of like so many years um, working on the 48. And I was just so, and I'm so proud of her. I still am, was then, will always be. And um, she, she talks about it now, like to her teachers, like her teacher was recently saying like, oh, like I'm going to hike. I forgot what they said, but she's like, oh, I've, I've done that. You know, she can say that at her age. And I've, I've yeah. encouraged her like, for, it's something, I just always want her to know it's something to be proud of, you know. Yeah, got, she's, she'll always have, whenever they have to like tell, tell us a fun fact about yourself, she'll always yeah. have that. Yeah. You know. And the memories we have, like she, she's met so many people in this community. Um, and she's very lucky to meet all of the friendly faces and they're so encouraging and yeah, it's, it was, it's, it was a great journey with her. That's for sure. Yeah. And so, and she still gets out. So she went with you guys to Percy Peak. So she's not burnt out or anything like that. From <laughs> no, she's not burnt out. And we poked at the 67 list with her. Um, and you know, she's at the, she's, um, turned 13. So, we haven't gotten out as much with her just because of life and traveling and you oh, know, she's got, we're building that balance you spoke of. Yeah. Earlier. We're so, we, so that's the thing. So we've always talked about like trying to have like a good balance, you know, instead of like every weekend, like pounding like the dirt, like hiking, 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 it's, you know, we'll hike and then, but we'll also like go into the city or just go to visit my parents or, you know what I mean? Just creating that really nice family balance of the outdoors, but also a life outside of hiking, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that seems to be a common, like, you know, you get this sort of like spark of energy and you're going after like whatever list or that you want to go after. And then after a while, you know, you want to keep it in your life, but it doesn't, it's not all consuming. And I think I'm sort of at that point now. It sounds like you guys yeah. are kind of there too. Yeah, I, I, that's where we, that's where we are. And then we've expanded by our travels too. So, you know, like the whites will always be here for us and we love and respect them. Again, like my family's still up in the Littleton, Lancaster area. So it's always going to be there and we go back to it plenty. Um, 
but we also realize that there's other things we like to enjoy outside of hiking where we can connect with each other and bond with other people as well. Mike, I, I will take an aside and, and tell you it, it took me like probably two years of wrestling with this, this feeling <laughs> to get to this point of acceptance. So you, yeah. you might be in it for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it for sure. But, um, and I guess like just going to the, you know, with, with New Hampshire, Jen, so you've been, you know, you've been here all your life. And at a certain yep. point, I have to imagine that like, you know, you want to start exploring other areas. So you guys, was it, and maybe Mike, you, you, I can't remember. I remember seeing when you guys started going out West and I feel like maybe your first trip might've been like, well, did you go out to Arizona and the Grand Canyon and that area? Was that your first trip out West together? Our first trip was our honeymoon to yeah. Utah, actually. Okay. Was our honeymoon. Okay. Yep. And then that's where it. Well, we had that week in Maine when we got engaged. But yeah, out west, yeah, was Utah. Yeah. And Arizona. They, yep. they call it the Grand Loop. Um, you know, you hit the five national parks in Utah. The Mighty Five. The, the Mighty, Mighty five. five. Yep. Um, and we just added the Grand Canyon into it. And like over the next three or four trips, we just seemed to keep adding to that loop until it became this giant circle that involved Death Valley and Great Basin and. Sedona, yeah, it's a lot of miles on a lot of rental cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when you, uh, what is your land? Do you go, go into Las Vegas or, or where, yeah. where Salt Lake City or where do you start from? Um, so when we were going to Utah and Nevada, that area, we'd fly into Vegas. Yeah. Vegas was always a great spot. Yeah, even even when we did some of the California national parks, we just flew into Vegas. It was It's just cheaper. The rental cars are cheaper. Yeah, it's a little more driving, but... It, for the value, it, it just works out better than trying to fly to San Fran or L.A. And then that's kind of from there is where we got the national park hiking bug was was through Utah. Um, it was a it was a gateway into seeing things in our free time, you know, because we're, he we're here on the weekends. But in our vacation time, we decided to use that time to travel. Got it. And then um, who, who does the research? Who does more of the like planning and, and comes up with the ideas on where to go? I like to call it like my three-headed monster it's it's physical maps it's some sort of best day hikes guidebook and all trails um and using those three i usually you know get a basically i sift through like yeah you could pull out a few gems but you can pull out some duds you know when you first sift through that that, that mess on the bottom of the river um so using those three to kind of sift through that i, I find kind of what legitimately are going to be some strong hikes because you're going out there and oftentimes on our trips, you know, they're larger road trips. So, you know, some of the spots were there for maybe six hours, sometimes a full day. Um, so we really want to make sure whatever I'm choosing is going to be worth our, our time and effort. And of course, you know, I also got to use, you know, Google Maps to make sure the drive time also makes sense. Yeah. And then from there, we bounce the ideas back with each other. Also, there's always options. So half the trip is planned and then we always leave room for the adventure part of it for just like that wiggle room mm -hmm. of, you know, the spur of the moment, you know, mm -hmm. we don't feel like doing that hike instead. Let's go do this. Right. And then Googling what's in the area is always fun. And so. And recreation.gov is, is a another app I use, at least for finding our end and beginning points, you know, where we're going to camp. Um, and a, one thing I will say about using that app is just because it shows it being the nearest campsite doesn't always mean drive time. It's the nearest campsite. Um, yeah. I've pulled some up that, it's 10 miles away from this park entrance, but because this road is closed, it's a three hour loop to get there. Um, 
and luckily I've discovered that before hitting reserve. Um, but the nice thing is too, if we change one of our camp spots on our the first camping night of our trip this summer uh, with Bella and Ryan, and I just, I went on the app, I canceled the one and I, I booked another about another three hours away. Um, so. There's a nice spontaneity on the trips, even though it's so planned, but there's still plenty yeah, of like, leave, leave some room. We always leave room. God. And then with lodging, are you typically just like tenting when you at campsites, or do you also use hotel rooms, or what? Do you, what's the deal there? It's fifty fifty. Yeah, I've I've gotten to more of a a fifty fifty, um, especially if we're doing longer drives like we did on this summer's trip. There there were some like eight nine hour drive days that just sleeping in the tents, not going to cut it, um, especially if you want to hike the next day. Mm. Um, so you know, I do take that into account. You know, with with my planning and you know our, our trip next summer we, we actually booked a whole airbnb for the whole time it's going to be the first time we've gone to montana and not yeah. camped it's going to be weird but I, I i'm gonna think i'm gonna like the aspect of being in one spot every night <laughs> got it well you've been to 31 national parks in the last few years like you're not gonna be able to run down every single one of them but can you give can you guys give maybe like three or four of your your highlights that you'd recommend people go check out i'm bringing up my list National uh, list. Glacier National Park is definitely our favorite. Yeah. Glaciers, Glacier's like our current favorite. I like um, the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like going down into there. Yeah. Anyone planning a trip for the Grand Canyon, be aware there is a North Rim and there is a South Rim and they are many hours apart. They are very far apart. And they are very unique. Yes. They're very different. <laughs> yeah. The North Rim is more wooded. It's it's a higher elevation. It's not as much of a plateau aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the South Rim, you get that like Arizona vibe, definitely. Yeah. You, you get know, more of the yeah. traditional, what you, you see in the movies and everything. Yeah. And Jen, do you recommend like just going down Bright Angel or do you? Bright Angel. That's what we yeah, do. Yeah. We love Bright Angel. Bright Angel. We've, we've gone down Bright Angel down to the river. Mm-hmm. We went down to Plateau Point with Bella, like just yep. on a whim. Like, you know, we showed Bella like, yeah, this is one of the ones it recommends. And she's like, yeah, sure. And that's a good one too, because <laughs> when you go there, there's um during the normal season, there's water points along the way down that trail for where you can get water so it's every mile and so a half. every mile and a half so it's like quote unquote family friendly and it's safe enough where you're not you know what i mean where you can get start down start early start early but like it gives it where anybody of any level can go down however far they want to a comfort to however comfortable they are that's why i like it too you know yeah that's yeah. neat yeah uh, i like that one um olympic national park it's really should be like three separate national parks <laughs> um, because you, you've got your your alpine highlands you, you've got your rainforest and, and you've got your coastline um, and and those of us who really have seen exclusively new england coastline coastline out there isn't anything like what you see out here you you look left and right all day long you're not going to see a boat you're you're not going to see a fishing charter or some tour bus or it's just it's expansive mind blowing i think you've got the classics also in utah like um like zion bryce capitol reef canyonlands um arches like like the mighty 5 like all those 5 are great like national parks i mean zion's as classic I feel like as they get when you think of Utah because you've got the Narrows it was our first place 
yeah. um, that we went to um, Bryce. We took Bella down into Bryce Canyon like via horseback mm-hmm. so she could get nice and in there. And that was a really cool way to see it, to see all the different formations and yeah. everything. You, you got to get used to the, the horses being along the edge of the trail because yep. that's where they're comfortable. Mm. <laughs> they don't realize <laughs> you're not. <laughs> and then Yos- Yosemite's great. Yosemite's is, it's not oversold. It's exactly as good as everyone tells you it is. Did you guys go into the slot canyons? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. for a recent episode, I was going to talk about um, that disaster that happened uh, several years back where there was flooding. There was major flooding in Utah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a and lot. several people died on that, in that slot there canyon is- there ample signage at yeah. most of those trailheads i oh, mean of course that, there's some yeah, slot there's canyons. Warning system of yeah. course there are some slot canyons that aren't marked you're not going to find on all trails yeah but those going towards those are usually people who know those risks sure um but ones like coyote gulch yeah, um that was cool. and, and whatnot you know they there's ample warning yeah you know? you know what's interesting in my research i found out that they consider sculptured rocks over here in groton yeah. or huh? hebron to be more of like, like a mini canyon or a slot canyon. Oh, wow. Isn't that neat? Yeah. So if anybody's interested, check it out. That's a big place, like 270 acres. It's massive. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Look it up. You still there, yep. Miguel? I am there. Yeah, I'm thinking about like, I'm, I'm like looking, I'm Googling some of this stuff as Mike's talking and Jen's talking. If you're ever, <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever out in Utah, Arizona. I mean, even if you don't do the national parks, just find some slot canyons. Slot, yeah. You know, on a nice dry day. On a nice dry. On a nice dry day. Have a good four wheel drive vehicle because yeah, there's going to uh, be a lot of soft sand you're going to drive on, but it's 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 worth it. I mean, it's unreal. Yeah, and, I bet. And it does give me that perspective, like you were just mentioning, Stomp. That you know, when you come back here and you look at some of the places we have, we're like, oh. Those are canyons. They just got woods on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That is the one regret I have. So we did like the Sedona, Flagstaff, Grand Canyon, Glen Canyon Dam, uh, Lake Powell type of trip. But we only had like a day. So we were like, all right, do we do that slot canyon tour or do we go over to Glen Canyon Dam and do the swimming in Lake Powell? And we decided mm-hmm. to do the dam tour and the swimming and we were like, maybe we'll have time to do that slot kit. But we just ran out of time because we were at the Grand yeah. Canyon earlier yeah. in the day. Uh, but I'd, I want to go back and do do that for sure. Yeah, Antelope Canyon Antelope is Canyon. worth the money. I, yeah. it, you, when you first click on it, it's going to give you a heart attack. But it absolutely <laughs> is worth the money. Do And do both <laughs> if you can, too, if you have the chance to do both. Because they're very different. And we like... And there each. is something to the times of day they're telling you to try to book, you know, there is something to the, the daylight and where the sun's hitting for each one. Sure, yeah. I bet. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's a cool area. All right. So then we got Glacier, Olympia, Yosemite, Olympia. Yeah. Um, and then the, the sort of classics in Utah the classics. as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Big Bend in Texas. Big Bend. Oh, yeah. Big Bend uh, in Texas. We did a, like a little school vacation for Bella this year in February. Usually for a couple of years there, we were going to AMC huts for a night. You know, just kind of get her outdoors in the middle of the winter. Something different, something that isn't a mountain. Um, but the prices are crazy, so we <laughs> we looked at a school instead. looked at a school vacation and um, I really didn't have high expectations. But Big Bend was gorgeous, and I really want to get us back out there for a rafting trip. Um, it's just it's a beautiful place. It is, yeah. We um, spent time at a hot spring, literally from 
I don't know, like 12 feet away from like the Mexican border, mm-hmm. um, like with just yeah, the river, right on the, Rio Grande. right on the Rio Grande. And it's, it's at a, a where uh, a hot spring building used to stand. So you're just sitting in like the foundation of it. And if you get there first thing in the morning, you have it all to yourself before anybody else gets there. And we spent a good like hour there before other people like started roaming in and it was, it was, it was, it was a beautiful experience. And there are wild horses there, which we yep. were caught off guard driving in. <laughs> yeah, we did see wild horses. In front of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. And then now I had my notes here. So we want to do a deep dive on, you spent, recently spent time in Montana doing whitewater rafting and road tripping yeah. around that area. And then you've been to Field of Dreams. So um, can you talk about that trip? That was your summer trip that you did with, with your daughter? Yeah. So we did that one with our daughter um, and also our friend Ryan. And so we flew into Chicago and then we just decided to road trip out to Montana and hit the national parks um, there and back. And so we stopped at Field of Dreams on the way back, which I highly recommend if you're a Kevin Costner fan like I am or just a sports fan. It's it's so classic because they let you walk on the field. They let you just have rope free like roam free on the set 250 bucks you can have the field for an hour in the morning yeah. with you and your team so we did field of dream yeah yeah by the way so yeah and then uh, we did uh, teddy roosevelt we did the badlands on that one badlands yep um wind cave wind caves um and then we took them out to glacier we met our friend anthony out there on his way home from his road trip um and yeah, so we spent um, some time in Glacier with um, Bella and Ryan. The Badlands is another really good one. I, I wish we had more time there. Kind of looking back on it, it's probably the one part of the trip I, I would replan a little bit. And we got caught in a lightning storm um, camping one night. We were, we were camping and Bella and I had to use the facilities at like 10 o'clock at night. And this was a campground I booked last minute. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like she and I are like taking photos of like this, like lightning storm coming in. We're like, oh, this is so pretty. And, you know, we're taking our time. <laughs> like, and, then minute, all my head. and then something's like, and then all of a sudden we get to the tent and then this, um, the, sheriff. the sheriff comes and he's like, you guys got to get like undercover. Cause my phone was going off with like the alarms. And so I wake him up and I'm like, well, we got to get in the car. And so we woke him up, we woke Ryan up. And then sure enough, we huddled in our Jeep while this like lightning storm just like. I mean, the car is rocking. It's like rocking and she's getting nervous. And, you know, it was that it made for a a long night in the car. Yeah. And then he woke up at like three o'clock and we started driving. Like we're like, I think he just woke up. We're like, okay, we're just going now at this point. We're going to continue with this road trip since we're all sleeping horribly. Wow, and then it's crazy. And then we've seen plenty of like animals when we were in Glacier and stuff like that, like the grizzly bears oh, really? and all um, that. Yeah, close. that, that morning close. after the storm, actually, the first hike we did was um, the Three Falls hike. So when you get to St. Mary Lake, um, there's a Three Falls trail that leaves from Sun Point and it goes by Boring Falls. Um, then it goes to um, St. Mary Falls. And then at the end is Virginia Falls, which is deeper in the woods a little bit of elevation to get to. So, you know, if you're not really a hiker, you know, St. Mary's usually where you stop, but you know, if you've got a little more gusto, a little more energy, you can make it up to Virginia fine. And um, first time, this is our third trip to Glacier and we had yet to really cross paths with a bear while on trail or even see one off in the distance while hiking. And I'm trailing behind the the three of them. 
Yeah. And I, I hear some rustling in the trees. And Bill and, and I, I are I saw like, some brown yeah. and I thought it was a deer. I was getting ready to take a photo. All of a sudden I see the ears. I'm like, that's not a deer. So Bell and I are ahead of him like a few steps and we're just like chit-chatting like, oh, blah, 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 whatever, right? And he's, he says something and we're like, what? Did your blood run and cold? She, she, no. no. I just, I did exactly what they tell you to do. You just keep moving, make noise. So he told, yeah, so he's like, just keep walking. I'm like, keep Don't walking. Run, he's and keep walking. Yeah, and, he, you know. and I'm like, where's the bear? And he's like, just keep going. And just we keep get going. clear of it. And I f- forgot to yell bear it like as loud as I could initially, forgetting there was a group of family behind us with little children <laughs> so the next thing we hear is Tasty these children, children these children sh- shrieking yes. at the top of their lungs because <laughs> no, nobody warned them yeah um, but now everyone everyone got out fine and we bumped into a family at the end that was down along these cascades that happened to watch the bear cross over the cascades and they were all excited you know and, yeah um, you know it was a good first experience like family family event. that was that was bella and ryan's first experience at glacier yeah <laughs> yeah jeez maybe eight feet away maybe as close as you were yeah Yeah. like i said bell and i were just clueless because we were just like chit-chatting having the time of our lives you know it's probably better yeah 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 exactly and then the next day we went and did iceberg lake um ryan and bella stayed back there was a a snow field that was a little treacherous i mean to cross over because it was just you know probably a 60 degree angle yeah um but it was short and her and i felt comfortable ryan went back to the car with bella and we continued on. There'd been a lot of reports of bear activity, a mother and her cubs um, by this lake um, mm-hmm. for the last couple of weeks. And, but you know, we didn't see anything the last couple of days. So we, we went out and, you know, we bumped into another couple at the lake. I'm like, Oh yeah. Did you see the grizzly? Like, you know, a hundred yards up off trail. And we're like, uh, no. So on our way back, I keep looking out for this bear that's supposedly up there. And I, and I'm really good at spotting wildlife. And sure enough, we see it up on like the side of the, the hill and it starts walking its way down yeah, towards the trail and all of a sudden I'm like it's coming towards the trail so we like like we, we I take the bear spray out I get it ready just in case but we like haul it on this trail because it just we it started going down into the woods and then I just didn't want to obviously like intersect it at any point so when we ran into people on there we're like there's a bear in the area, just so you know. And everybody's always asking if there's bears anyways. Because mm-hmm. we didn't see the cubs either. So like, God forbid, yeah. that's the mama and you don't know where the cubs are. You yeah. might be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Yep. Um, so but yeah. we, we, we booked so always, it out there. Always carry bear spray. Yeah. And just keep talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, yeah. the biggest problem is when you surprise them. And they say bear bells. You're just letting the bear know where you are. You're just saying, yeah, like, there, I'm a snack. There are some studies know? to that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, a little Pavlov dog response. Yeah. True. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is. And then um, you've been out to Colorado, Jen. I wanted you to tell the story about locating your dad's long lost cabin out in Colorado. Oh, yeah. So that's, so my dad passed away in May. And again, like I grew up with his stories of his adventures. And so he'd always told us of the story where in 1972, when he was 18 years old, he had his um, skiing buddy Duncan Coleman um, and if you look up look up Duncan Coleman in the Inferno he'll pop up on there for you um, so he they drove out west and they had dreams of starting a ski school and building a cabin on the side of this um, mountain and so when we so after my dad passed I got to my dad's house and sure enough on the table my brother had taken out a photo album which I have here and I started going through it. And sure enough, there were the photos of this cabin that I'd heard about my whole life. I turned to Mike after, like I said, it was just a few days after like dad had passed. And I said, we're going to Colorado. And he's like, we're going to Colorado. 
<laughs> and that was that. We're going to Colorado. No ifs, ands, or buts. Like, you know? And then later on, digging into my dad's house, so we decided we're going, um, we found some journals, and I said, you know, I wonder if the journal, if something's there. So sure enough, we find journals of his whole life that he, I didn't know my dad kept journals ever. And we found it in his like man cave in his basement, which I have here. And sure enough, it's his very first journal of his trip out West. Just like, you know, like he talks about like, so-and-so told me that I should start a journal of, of like my travels and, you know, and he introduces himself in it and everything. So <laughs> we decided to fly out there at the exact same time that his photos were taken, um, which was Labor Day. And so we landed on the six and all we had to go by was what he had written and he marked all of his pictures. So it gave us a general idea of where to start. And I wanted to recreate his steps. I wanted to follow in his steps to see what he saw. Obviously it's 50 years apart, but I wanted to, this is something that I had to do as my own like healing journey and like mm. with my grief that I have, cause we were so close. I talked to him multiple times a week and I wanted to feel connected to him. And Mike was very respectful as always. And, and so he did all the driving and I had all the pinpoints that we wanted to hit. And so we ended up in this town of Silverton in Colorado. And we knew we had to get to this area of the abandoned mine, mining town of Gladstone. So when we got to Silverton, I said, let's go to informational because generally old people work there. You know, old people work there is my thought. Like it's an honest thought. And sure enough, I walk in with my photo album, my journal, and I'm like explaining like what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this old cabin from like 1970, et cetera, et cetera. They're like, oh boy, and this is a crazy lady. Just yeah, exactly. Like imagine like me, like I'm like, you know, hundred and some odd pounds soaking wet and just like bundle of energy. Like, look what I've got. Hi, nice to meet you. And then, so they were kind enough to, give us information to another guy named Fetch. Fetch. Thank you. I always say his name wrong. <laughs> always wants to call him Fritz. Fritz. Like Fritz Weatherby, <laughs> right? And so again, I'm showing him my photo album in the journal and I open up. I'm like, I have this cabin that I think you might know where it is. And I open it up and he's like, those are the hippie huts. And we're like, what? What are the hippie huts? So mm -hmm. he says, I can get you. I can show you where they are on a map. So he points to a map on the door with a pencil or pen and he's like, this is where they are. And that's what we have to go by. Yeah, just this random topographical line yep. under the second R of this word here. So he's like, that's where you'll find them. <laughs> so we drive towards the abandoned mining town where there's no service and a picture of this map on my phone. And we're just like, we're gonna see what we can figure out. So we start going up these like dirt ATV roads and it starts to get a little sketchy. So we pull over at a hairpin turn we get out, I'm wearing jeans, my hiking shoes. I have my dad's shirt on that I found at his house. I have his satchel and I was like, I'm grabbing this photo album too. So we're hiking up this like, <laughs> we're walking up this road with all these things. Yeah, we're up over like 10,000 feet. At this yeah, point. we're about 10,000 feet at mm. this point. And we're going up and he makes a comment of like, do you hear like a generator? And I'm like, why would I hear a generator like this far out of the woods? This is the middle of nowhere. We're like 30 to 40 minutes outside of town in, like I said, the middle of nowhere. But then we keep walking and then we start seeing like places that look like the photos in my in my dad's uh, photo album. And then a, few, a little bit later, I look ahead of us and I see what looks like a cabin up on the side of a mountain. I'm like, oh my God, that's the cabin. It wasn't, 
the cabin. But then I looked below it shortly, um, just not too far below it. And I see these guys working on like a new one. And then Mike's hmm. like, go say hi. You're friendly. So I'm like, okay. So I run ahead, <laughs> put the pedal to the metal and I'm running up with the photo album. And I'm like, hi, I've got this photo album. I'm looking for this cabin. I think it's in this area. And I'm also not selling the word of Jesus Christ, by the way. <laughs> so these guys get a good laugh. And then this guy named Ben comes up and we start talking. And he says to me, not only does the cabin exist, he owns the mining claim to it because that's what they have out there because it's all mining claims that you can buy and build your stuff on. You know yeah. what I mean? And so eventually he's like, I'll take you up to it. You know what I mean? He's like, you guys have to keep walking up and I'll take my bike and I'll meet you up there. This is how all horror movies start. This is right. Oh yeah, it gets better by the way. It gets better. It turns into Mike's like worst nightmare for a second. So we start going up the road um, and then Ben is like, okay, take a, a shortcut up, up a hill, right? So we're like, okay, we'll go up the hill because he had to take his bike around the road. So we start walking up this hill, this hillside, and there's a cabin below us. And then all of a sudden we hear a gun go off and we're like, what? And so we freeze. And Ben's like, Ben's like flailing his arms from up above us somewhere. And I'm like, so we pause and then we don't hear another gunshot for another second. Then we start walking again. And then all of a sudden we hear a second one. We're like, okay, what's going on? And then Mike's like, this is my worst fear. <laughs> we're from New England. We're not used to this. I'm like, oh my God, we're getting shot at now. So then eventually Ben pops up. I have up. this thing about private property. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. just, you know, I watch too many of those freak out videos online. <laughs> so ben, eventually Ben pops up, up up on the hillside ahead of us. And he's like, okay, come up, come up, come up. Well, his buddy, when we get up there, was shooting long distance targets from across like the valley way, like a thousand yards. So if we had come up at the wrong time when he was shooting, it could have been really horrible. Um, So that was that. (laughs) And then eventually he did show us my dad's cabin, which is still in existence. Um, It's like more like a shack now after 50 years, but it's still standing um, more or less. Um, So we ended up making really good friends with Ben and his family and his daughter. We spent the evening there hanging out with them for like three or four hours. And then we came back the next day. I took, I did these, a lot of recreation photos and took photos from every single angle. Um, And then Mike and I, um, we hiked the peak behind the cabin. Um, It's a trailless peak. It's not on like any list or anything like that, but I just wanted to feel as connected to that area as I could you know, because of all these different things that just randomly came together. And it's, it's worth noting yeah. too, oh, yeah. that, um, you know, everything him and Duncan like tried doing out there. Duncan, yeah. by the way, he, this is one of three mining claims he bought back in the seventies. Um, his yeah. parents were big investors, early investors in Philip Morris. So he, he had a lot of inheritance money and this is what he chose to do is he yeah. wanted to start a ski school with, uh, these three hostels and he chose, yeah peaks reading the topography that were northward facing would collect the most snow be protected from the sunlight etc cetera, etc cetera. and it, this is one of those spots and it, to this day or even now it's still being used by backcountry ski bombs and that's how ben found it because he and his friends would go up to that area hang out at these cabins for like days on end ski you know what i mean just mm-hmm. chill out and then he loved that area so much that he eventually bought 90% of it from the gentleman after Duncan. Yeah. And then he wanted to just keep that land like preserved. And that's what they do. So Ben told me, he's like, your dad came out here 
to create this this thing, the ski culture. And it's it's lived on since then with what him and his friends did, you know, with with the people out there. And that was really touching for me to know. And my brother thought I'd get closure out of this trip, but what it didn't, it wasn't closure for me. It was just, it made me feel more connected to my dad, you know, because like I said, I grew up with all these like stories and that's where my passion for the outdoors came from was from all of this. And then to, to live through his eyes through the journal and the photo album was just, you know, like I knew he was there. And again, how serendipitous of everything that had to happen with what, when we got out there with just, with just a journal and, and photos in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Well, cause it could have just as easily been a scenario like Mike's fear around like, you know, you have <laughs> right. people we could have ended up like, stay off right. my land. I don't care what your right. story is, but like, yeah. Ben, yeah. you know, you probably, I would think from Ben's perspective, like you probably filled in some blank lines yeah. for him where he was exactly, kind of like, I don't know the early history, but now I know, I know a lot more than I did. Well, that's exactly what happened. Like we filled in each other, some blanks for each other. Yeah. And we're, we're working loosely on trying to get him in contact with Duncan Coleman. Um, he's still alive um, by all accounts and living somewhere in Littleton. So. Yeah. My brother delivers his mail still and everything, but yeah, so he's still around, but, um, but yeah, we did, we, we, it was a beautiful place to connect with Ben and for his history and then my own history with the cabin as well. Um, and then we got to know them for, for that, for those few days. Um, and yeah, it was, this family is a very outdoors family. So yeah. it's same, same vein, like as we are, um, they're just fortunate enough to have jobs that involve the outdoors too, which is nice, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, great people, great people. Wow. That's fascinating. And then your father's journal. So you, you yeah. didn't know that these existed until after he passed Never. away. And then when you found those, I would imagine that like it was like an amazing gift for you to be able to sort of like have him speak his words to you through, through the journals. I looked at this as an adventure that I'm going to get emotional that he and I got to do together, you know, like after, after he passed, this was an adventure that we got to, that he gave this to us in a way, you know, like is because we, I literally found the photo album like a few days after he passed that my brother had like dug up and stuff. And like I said, I turned to Mike, I'm like, we're going like this is happening and he always encouraged like our traveling and what we were doing was Bella he was like our number one like you know supporter of, of what we do mm-hmm. you know and to find this it was like like you said a gift you mm-hmm. know that's beautiful yeah so yeah. yeah it's amazing it's amazing so if there's ever any like cool entries like that aren't personal that are sort of like descriptive of um you know, the white mounds or something like that. If you feel like it's worth sharing, like I would definitely check those out. Yeah. We have some in some other journals and stuff, um, that, that I have at home. Um, but we decided just to leave those, those there. And cause he gets, he gets, per, he definitely gets personal because it was just like his whole life. He kept these journals, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, an amazing gift to leave. Yeah. I, and, and Mike found the journals cause like Sam, we were just cleaning out the house and he's like, what it, like mm. they were like in drawers yeah, she, she upon had to drawers. Rip open the lock on this yeah, one. I had to rip open this one because I was just like so determined. It's like something's in here, and it's like you know that instinct, that gut instinct you have, yeah. and that's what it was with this with this brown journal that I have. I was like something's in here, and it was like I literally turned him like I'm like, oh my god, this is it. This is what we're gonna go by. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't a man of 
many words he wasn't willingly sharing you know if you didn't ask the right question that's what you he always said to me. find out the information <laughs> like he ran the boston marathon so reading these journals yeah. has been thoroughly entertaining yeah he, he ran the boston marathon i'm like why didn't you ever tell me you ran the boston marathon and he's like well you never asked the right question Jim. <laughs> so old school I know, just, never... just like he told the doctors about yeah. him still smoking yeah yeah but that giant smirk on his face yeah, so he he was like that, you know. Just you just had to ask, you had to ask the right question to get the answer. But if you didn't ask it, you didn't know. Yep, I know. That's brilliant. Yeah. So what's uh, what's next for you guys? You're doing. Um, you're going to continue on the national park tour. You're going to do anything international? Like what? What's the what's the next big plan for you? Um. So we're going to go back to Glacier in August. Um. We're going to go to Jamaica with our family, with my mom and stuff. We, we owe her mother a trip. We owe my mom a trip because we do a lot of traveling because on Because we're such planners, they it, not that they're not, they they are. It's just, we get phone calls like eight o'clock, two months before it's about to happen. And we're like, yeah. we already booked something like a year ago. Yeah. So we've got, so, so we're going to do Jamaica. And then I think in the fall, we're going to do a road trip um, along the East Coast to hit those national parks, to hit a bunch of those. And you know, visit my mother. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the 2023 plan is Glacier, Jamaica, East coast stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I think Jamaica, I didn't do it, but I think there's a, I think it's blue mountain or something you can hike. It's like a, it's where the coffee beans are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool there. And then they got Dunn's river falls and all that stuff. Like just, just be prepared for the, the locals will be hitting you up for, you know, buy all this different, all these different knickknacks and whatnot. They're pretty aggressive. Yeah. Oh, sure. Now, you guys brought these sticks. Can oh. you describe them for so, the listeners? Yeah, I, and- I brought, um, so my dad, again, was the man of mystery. You can, you can hear them. So I, I wanted to do show and tell tonight. And so what they are, they're these tall wooden sticks. Like uh, five feet, Like maybe? five feet with some bells on it and the flag. Um, Japanese. The Japanese flag with yeah. Japanese writing. Um, and they're from the years um, 75 and, and 76. 76. So again, my dad, so I have a photo of an airplane flying like parallel to Mount Fuji. And my dad was in the Navy um, mm. and he did, um, he worked on the radar. And so what he did was he asked one of his buddies who flew the planes to like take his camera mm-hmm. Fly the, fly the plane and to take photos. So I have this photo of Mount Fuji. So anyway, so with this, they're called Fuji sticks and they have burn Amazing. marks in them and they represent, you get burn marks along the way hiking up and he did it twice. So he, my dad hiked Mount Fuji twice back in 75 and 76. Yeah. And these again were like random things. Like I've had these prior to his passing, but um, I've always like loved seeing them like growing up. Yeah. Um, and they're real. They're really neat relics, though, to have. Um, and I've had some people interested in buying them, actually. Yeah. And stuff also. Um, but do some, do some research about them. I'm, I'm sure you can get images. Yeah. On the web, they're beautiful, and the yeah. the burnt in um, text is incredible. Yeah, because it's all in like Japanese uh, writing and scripture and he's had yeah. obviously he's had these but he was big when he traveled he because he was in the navy um he brought back and sent home like the coolest souvenirs like we grew up with a kangaroo skin on the wall <laughs> yeah, you know? he wasn't a drinker he used his money to bring pieces of the world back home yeah that's and that's neat. what he did he went to pakistan and like i said 
um, that's how he met my mom was um, through the military and everything when they were when he was stationed in Japan and she was visiting Japan also. Um, but yeah, this was this is he 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 was quite the collector and he was an eclectic person who liked to keep to himself. Um, but he always had like again just the stories. I always go back to his stories with like who I am. You know what I mean? You yeah. just you know some people live in the fairy tale stories. I lived through his adventures, just like just amazed at all the stuff that he did, you know, and like the history of his own family. And again, he was just such a hero of mine. And I just always want to continue my life, like what he would want, you know, and what he loved about like what we did also. And mm-hmm. so just to always have him in my memory, but these were just the coolest things. I just thought you guys might be interested in like, I know it's, you know, we're on a podcast, but yeah, still. maybe send a few pics or something over the yeah. next few days. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like but, something uh, like that you could take on to Antiques Roadshow and they'll be like, yeah. oh, you can have $10,000. Like these are yeah, really rare. It? It's, it's really <laughs> neat. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, they're beautiful. And then, yeah, it's, so well, I just, I was like, oh, let me grab these and bring them. I know mm. we were walking in. He's like, what's that noise? Yeah, yeah the cats are like, it's Christmas. <laughs> what? <laughs> Santa Claus is here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep the cat, keep the executive producer away from those flags. Yeah. This has been great. And a very cool story about, you know, your, your father's early adventures and, you know, it's good. It's great catching up with you guys and yeah. you know, we've known each other for a long time, but yeah. I knew that I knew you guys were going to have some interesting insights to share about hiking and life. Um, I guess stop. Is there anything we missed? No, that was very comprehensive. I yeah. tried to propose to Mike on Katahdin, by the way, and he said no. <laughs> oh, for the record, <laughs> I was, for the record, I was proposing the next day. Right, I'd like to say this. <laughs> oh, my buddy Ryan, who was with us both days, was the only one that knew when it was really going to happen. Oh yeah, my god, that's yeah. hilarious! So I got down on with um with a ring pop on Katahdin, and it was like, ha ha, you know what I mean? And then, then that night we're at in town and I get a phone call from her mother trying to talk me out of it yeah like oh too soon too soon is what she was saying and then the next day he proposed and but so now he, I'm the favorite but now he's the favorite but yeah he so I jokingly well I was serious honestly with the with the ring pop on Katahdin hmm. I got denied but then the next day you proposed to me on North Brother and then we got married then we got married on top Actually, of Cannon you're, Mike your, your buddy Chris yeah. was with us on that on North Brother we adopted him on trail that day yes who's that Chris? Chris uh, Daly, I think was his last name. He's got salt and pepper hair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, we should plug Redline Guiding. Of course. Because um, Mike was our JP at our wedding. And Alvaro was the photographer. And Alvaro was the photographer. Oh, yeah. We've had the marks on. Yes. Yep. Susie and Alvaro. Susie and Alvaro. So plugged. My last hometown, Ipswich. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody's looking to get married, he is your... He's your guy. Yeah. He's great. great. All right. So this is, so you guys got married, like you did the, so Mike Cherum, who owns Redline Guiding, he is also uh, like a, JP. he's like a justice of the peace, right? He yes. Can, he can actually yep. do the ceremony. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In Montana, you can do your own ceremony yourself. You can right. For the record. Different, law, so. different laws. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys are really legitimately like the most mountain couple I've ever talked to. <laughs> I interrupted okay. our vows too, by the way. I did. Because like, you could see my face like turning like, hmm. I was like, I need to Anything add something to Anything too this. formal, she gets bored. <sighs> yeah, it really is. 
you asked permission for yeah i asked, he was, I asked, very I asked yeah. she said I, no i well all right so i asked her dad her dad said yes i asked her okay, stepfather well, he kind of first was like well why are you asking me i'm, I'm like I was told I had to ask you, Andy. So I'm asking yeah. you. She respects you. And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. And, you know, like a probably a week or two later is when we did our main trip. And the beginning of the main trip is when I proposed. And her, her mother called in the middle of dinner. And This is very much on my mother, by the way. This is too soon. This is my mom it's to it, too. And, you know, Andy took the phone from her. I was like, listen, she'll, she'll calm down. She'll be fine. Yeah. And then now he's the favorite. Now when we go over, she's like, did Mike eat? Did Mike have enough? When's Mike getting there? Yeah, whenever we you say know, we're coming, like... it's, what does Mike want to eat? <laughs> but yeah, so we, so we got engaged. We fell in love in the White Mountains. We got engaged in the mountains. Well, and I think it was Maine. What? We, we fell in love in Maine. We felt all of it, you know, like all of it everywhere. You know what I mean? And then we got married on top of everything was the mountains. And then we got, we had a reception at my mom's house because I like my mom's property where she lives in town because it's in the middle of nowhere. And plus my mom's cooking is the best. So she catered it too for us. Hmm. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We and chose we- Cannon Mountain just so those who weren't hiking could take the tramway, but her mother asked that we take the tram back down. We told her, no, it we, we can't. Count. It wouldn't count for the grid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which really blew her mind even more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's good thinking there. So we can't do that story. Yeah. All right. Stomp. So I think we're going to put a pin in search and rescue news. We'll push that to the next episode. Cause we're going long here, but uh, this was great. We learned a lot. I want to book some trips to national parks now. I'm going to go to Glacier. Where are you going, Stomp? What's your pick after listening to this? Oh, probably Zion, I would Zion. think. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's fascinating one. history out there. you got to go to the lesser explored portions of it. Um, if you ever look at the Northgate Peaks on all trails, yeah. check that area out. Yeah. It's nice. But Mrs. Stomp is totally into the cacti and Joshua Tree and stuff <gasps> yeah. like that. So Cigarro National Park. Yeah. It's incredible. Though. I have been out there quite a bit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, she has not. So Well, she she went a couple of years back yeah. to visit somebody, but we'd yeah. love to do a road trip out there for sure. Road trip. Watch yeah. for the mountain lions. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing I've learned here is like if you're, so for the lady listeners here, if you <laughs> are looking to be in a relationship with somebody, you need to find somebody that's going to plan your vacations for you. And your trips and you just have to show up and and that's it. Like that's that's the goal. I find all the food I find all the food places. Yeah. Like Yeah. You know. Yeah. And all the random Googling and he does the driving and it's a good balance. We balance each other out too. Yeah. Well it's funny. I remember when you guys were <laughs> yeah. out west and you found like I this is so funny you say this because I remember you like cause I was going out west like right after you guys and you would found some random like taco food truck in yes. Page, Arizona in Page. or something. Yep. And yeah, I was Mutton like, oh, Curve. I find this place. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mutton yeah. Curve. Best street corn I've ever had. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that was a good tip, but I need to like <laughs> get to some <laughs> little risky. Like, but we do balance each other out. Yeah. 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 So. We actually, uh, we found a coffee truck in Page that was willing to drive up to our hotel yeah, and open nice. early to bring our coffee to us. Yes. <laughs> They were very nice. nice. Yeah. I love that's coffee. A, yeah. That the is Navajo nice people are great area. people. They really yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great town. But all right. Stop. So unless you got anything else, let's wrap this up. It's, it's over two hours now. Right on. People would be happy. They like <laughs> yes. the long content. You know, especially those right. po- folks driving up from Massachusetts. The flatlanders. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> exactly. All right. Well, 
we'll wrap it with Flatlanders. So but that Enjoy. was good. Jen, I'm so, Stomp made you cry. What the hell? <laughs> that should be the intro. Yes. <laughs> How dare you? Last night we met with Mike and Jen Keen, and uh, it was a really cool episode, but it ran sort of late. So we put the search and rescue section to bed for the evening, but then Mike and I were chatting earlier today and um, came up with the idea of, you know, in these circumstances, either having myself or myself and Mrs. Stomp or whoever cover the search and rescue stories uh, after the fact and just tag it on to the episode so that's what i'm doing here we are so we're going to talk about a couple national stories and a couple local stories and then and uh yeah call it a night let's see so the first one i have here there's a lot of stuff going on nationally um i'm not about to reveal my methods but it has something to do with search engines (laughs) um so before every show, I I have a method and I pluck out all these different stories from around the nation and around the world. So uh, uh, anyway, so there's a lot going on everywhere all the time. And over the last few weeks, Arizona has been a hotspot. So this first story comes from Yahoo News, which sources People Magazine, which is sort of interesting, People Uh, Is that even a thing? I don't know. And this is dated September 29th. And uh, let's see, the headline is, Missing Hiker found days after texting her husband that she, quote, got off course. It's already sounding pretty sad here. So uh, the story reads, An Arizona hiker who was reported missing on Sunday, was found dead after telling her husband she, quote, got off course. The body of Kathleen Patterson, 60, was recovered on Wednesday morning. The Maricopa County Sheriff's Office said in a statement shared with People magazine, quote, unfortunately, she was found deceased by a volunteer searcher off trail in the Spur Cross Conservation Area. Um, authorities do not suspect foul play and detectives are investigating the death. Um, uh, let's see. The cause of death has not been made public. Huh? Apparently, according to the Maricopa County Sheriff's office. So she was last seen leaving home for a hike on Sunday morning. The MCSO initially tweeted in an alert about her disappearance. Um, Oh, look at Mike's, texting me at the moment he's interrupting my flow she had gone hiking near Spurcross cave creek around 7 30 a.m she used her cell phone to contact relatives roughly three hours later 
which marked the last time anybody heard from her. So that's pretty interesting and sad. But ultimately, um, oh, wow. Here's the text. It says, uh, her husband says, quote, she sent me a text at 10.02 saying, hey, babe, got off course. I'm good. Plenty of water. That was the last thing. And uh, she was a skilled hiker by all reports. And um, her husband said that he called her less than an hour later and she was heading back to her car. And quote, she's like, I'm cranking. I'm on my way back. I'll text you from the parking lot. Um, After hours passed without Kathleen contacting him, Steve went to go look for her car and then called the police. And uh, quote, when I saw her car, it was about three in the afternoon and I immediately knew something was wrong. So that's heartbreaking stuff. Uh, I don't know. Volunteers got into the search and went to great lengths to find Kathleen. There were people on horseback, drones, um, paragliders were helping, um, Arizona Sartac, which is Arizona's own search and rescue team were involved. I mean, it's quite the, uh, quite the effort here. We had people on bicycles. We had people spend the night out looking for her last night. And then ultimately a volunteer search, uh, searcher ultimately found Kathleen on Wednesday and the identity of the volunteer searcher has not been made publicly. Uh, yeah, I would hope, I would hope not. So anyway, this is sort of a weird story. They say it's not, uh, anything unusual or foul play, but it seems sort of fishy, but we shall not speculate on slasher. Now the next story Arizona. This is sort of interesting. I like this, being a bushwhacker. Um, This is from the Sacramento Bee. Quote, hiker missing for days is found in thick vegetation on Arizona mountain. And this is dated the 29th as well. Um, So, a hiker wandered up an Arizona mountain and vanished for two days, rescuers said. The rescuer, oh, the rescuer, the, the hiker was hiking Mount Lemon when he got lost. And this is in Pima County, apparently. After spending two days on a mountain, rescuers found the hiker on Tuesday, September 27th. The hiker was successfully found in thick vegetation by rescuers. Uh, Let's see. The man was given food and water and rescuers helped him hike off the mountain. So Mount Lemon apparently is like a 9K and it's the highest point in Arizona. Oh, no, sorry. It's the tallest peak in the Santa Catalina Mountains. And it's about 45 minutes northeast of Tucson. I love it out there. Oh, my God, I love it out there. I would love to go out again and just see the uh, the desert. And I have really beautiful memories of traveling the desert at night, coming back east towards Florida, uh, pitch black and coming up over the hills and seeing like Albuquerque, the lights of Albuquerque just laid out uh, in front of us. It's just amazing. Super cool. I know Mrs. Stone wants to see the uh, Joshua trees again and stuff like that. So that's your national news. I mean, there's a million other stories, but that's it for that. So we go local and this, this caught my eye. It's a poacher. A poacher was caught recently and it's a fairly brief story but it's sort of interesting to know 
that this stuff is going on. Uh, it's sort of surprising, but uh, here it is. Um, so this is September 28th, a day earlier. Conservation officers in District 4, that's a little south of the Whites, had a busy night last night. A call for a missing 20-year-old in Webster, a call for a missing 82-year-old in Winchester, and an Operation Game Thief call, uh, which is basically fishing games, uh, I, I would assume anonymous tip line for people that are doing illegal stuff in the hunt, hunting realm or anything in the woods, in the wilderness, in the, the waterways. So an, operating, uh, an Operation Game Thief call about a deer illegally shot with a rifle. Uh, all this was happening at the same time, essentially. Conservation officers were responding to the SAR calls at opposite ends of the district and needed the assistance of local police to catch a poacher in Marlboro. An officer from the Dublin Police Department and an officer from Marlboro Police Department responded to the OGT, OGT, uh, old school gangster uh, call and were able to catch the individual in the act of removing the deer from a field and held him until the CO arrived. So this person was charged and faces a hunting license suspension. So there you go. We have a hiker that was injured on the Avalon Trail. I have fond memories of this trail. It's really nice. It's part of the Tom Field Willie Range, uh, that area of the woods. So it's super steep and super sketchy at points. And at 3 o'clock on September 30th, uh, oh, I'm sorry, September 29th. Talk about busy. Just what is it with the, uh, the 29th? Amazing. So, Fishing Game was alerted to an injured hiker on the Avalon Trail. The report had come into the AMC Highland Center that a female hiker had injured her leg while descending the AZ Trail, uh, which is the Avalon Zealand Trail, which can take you over to the Zealand Hut. Um, so, she was having a difficult time continuing. Unable to reach the injured party by cell phone, Fishing Game decided to send a rescue team comprised of COs or conservation officers and volunteers from Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team. Uh, by 4.15 p.m., the first rescuers arrived with the injured hiker, and uh, she was about a mile up the Avalon Trail from the Highland Center. So that's, that's sort of a long mile when you consider the, uh, the steeps. The injured hike was placed into a litter and carried to the trailhead, arriving at 5 p.m. Good news here is that uh, this person was well-equipped and just simply slipped. I mean, it happens. Uh, as Mike would say, no shame. So that's that story. Now we have, this is the one that caught my eye uh, for the most part this week. This is pretty intense. So we have an injured climber. Um, this is the 29th shortly after 4 p.m., and this is on the White Horse Ledge, and if anybody's familiar with the White Horse Ledge, this is just in the North Conway realm. You have Cathedral Ledge, you have White Horse Ledge, and I believe White Horse Ledge is about 900 feet high. 
And if you want to parallel, that would be about the height of the old man when the old man was up there. So, you know, Cannon Cliffs are about 900 to 1,000 feet in height. Um, so, shortly after 4 p.m., New Hampshire Fishing Game was notified that a climber was injured on the standard route on Whitehorse Ledge. And, and you look this up, there are a dozen routes up and down this ledge um, of different um, intensities. The climber was Sean Pickington, 36, of Glassboro, New Jersey. Sean was over 600 feet up the cliff. He fell about 8 feet and impacted the ledge, causing a severe lower leg injury. After impacting the ledge, he slid a few more feet. The gear he had placed to prevent a longer fall held, and his wife, Komal, I believe, who was belaying him from below, arrested his fall with a rope. So there you go. That's like super critical. Just the fact that his gear held is is amazing. You're putting... X amount of body weight up on these little anchors and things like that. Uh, I mean, they're they're built to withstand hundreds of pounds, but still, I mean, you're, it's always a big question mark. Along with COs and members of the North Conway Fire and Rescue, Conway Ambulance, and the Mountain Rescue Service, which is MRS, that's one of the specialized volunteer teams up here. Uh, MRS team members rapidly climbed to Sean's location on the cliff. They were able to stabilize his injury and secure him in a litter. After assisting Komal to the ground, they lowered Sean in the litter to the base of the cliff, where he was then carried to a waiting ambulance. I'm going to skip forward here. So um, here's the takeaway from this. I don't know what this means. Excessive rope drag created by Sean. I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, But I do know what this means. And a lack of familiarity with the route contributed to the fall. So from uh, from climbers that I've spoken to, there are, you know, obviously traditional routes that people follow. And they're sort of, I guess the idea would be that they're tested and true. They're less... Uh, prone to uh, like exfoliation or surprise of uh, uh, loosening a rock. So the idea is if you go off of these traditional routes, then you're facing potential um, dangerous sections of rock or ledge. So that may have contributed to this uh, fall. So very interesting. And the story goes on to say, the Mountain Rescue Service is based locally in North Conway and is a highly skilled volunteer search and rescue organization whose members work hard to maintain the skills and equipment necessary to carry out technical rescues across the state. And uh, anybody can donate directly to MRS um, or they can donate through the New Hampshire Outdoor Council at nhoutdoorcouncil.org and those donations are fully tax deductible. And then uh, let's give a plug for the HikeSafe program. Outdoor enthusiasts are also encouraged to purchase a HikeSafe card at wildnh.com right slash safe. This card helps support fishing game search and rescue activities. You can also go to uh, hikesafe.com for hiking tips and a list of essential gear. So there you go. Pretty intense story. I'm glad that uh, person survived. I mean, eight feet. 
I mean, that's great. It's better than 80 feet or 100 feet, 8 feet. I'll take it. Even that's terrifying. Um, let's see. We have uh, somebody rescued on Beeline Trail, which is Mount Chakora. This is Monday, October 3rd. At approximately 3.30 p.m., New Hampshire Fishing Game responded to a call for assistance, assistance on the Beeline Trail on Mount Chakora. Patricia Case, 34, from North Woodstock, New Hampshire, injured her ankle shortly after summoning Mount Chakora. She was unable to bear weight on her injured ankle and continued her hike. She had no cell phone signal and had to crawl up to a steep section of the trail until she was able to acquire signal to text a friend and request assistance. And uh, this is interesting. So she was unable to call 911 due to poor cell phone reception. Yeah, there you go. I mean, go figure. It's like Chakora generally has pretty decent service, but it you know it depends on your location. Right off the bat, I do not know what side of the mountain Beeline Trail is on. I'm guessing it's probably the southern side. I could be completely wrong. I apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting. So New Hampshire Fish and Game COs responded along with members of the Lakes Search and Rescue uh, team. Case was evaluated, stabilized, and then placed in a litter for transport down the trail. And she was carried for about two miles, arriving at the section intersection of the beeline and the bowls trail with two l's and then placed in a utility vehicle and transported back to the trailhead arriving at about eleven thirty p.m and uh, this is another avid hiker uh, well prepared and equipped and again it's just uh, no shame she was attempting a solo three-day hike and was able to come comfortably sustain herself for several hours in near freezing temperatures as she waited for rescue. So there you go. If you get in trouble, you need to be able to wait for help in, in these colder weather uh, temps. Um, just make sure you have everything you need with you because it can be a long time before rescuers show up. It's super important because uh, they could have been dealing with a hypothermic patient on this uh, rescue here. Um, so I here's a question. Where was she going? Like a solo three-day hike, and she's going up over Chikora. So I find that interesting. I wonder where she was headed. I wonder if it was like a uh, a sandwich um, range traverse over to like Waterville or like uh, Whiteface Pass to Conaway to Kate Sleeper to the Tri-Pyramids. I wonder. It sounds like a sort of, sort of a cool time. But... Uh, Happy trails and get better quick. Let's see what else do we have here. I think that's it, but if I remember correctly, there is something that came in last night while we were recording with Mike and Jen. And um, I think I want to read this because it's actually really interesting. So this, yeah, it did happen last night. So this is um, uh, Franconia, New Hampshire. October 5th, at approximately 8.15 a.m. on Wednesday, Fishing Game was notified of an injured hiker at the Greenleaf Hut. Um, I'll skip the name. They were ascending the popular Franconia Ridge Trail Loop on October 4th, reaching the Falling Waters Trail at about 8.30 a.m. The group had completed hiking the ridge to the summit of Mount Lafayette. At approximately 4.30 p.m., 
on their descent, one person fell on slippery terrain and injured their lower leg, uh, making it difficult to continue to walk on any further. Uh, This person's spouse was able to carry them down the remaining section until they reached Greenleaf Hut. AMC Hut crew allowed the group to spend the night because they were unable to walk and called for assistance the next morning. So the next morning, Army National Guard um, arrived at the hut at 10.15 and uh, let's see. They were assisted, the pair were assisted by flight crew into the helicopter using a jungle penetrator. I love that name, jungle penetrator. And they arrived at Littleton Regional Healthcare at approximately 10.50 a.m. And that's about all they uh, they mentioned there. So pretty interesting, very busy. And um, we're at the beginning of October and we have three more weeks to go. So fingers crossed for the Q word um, and no missions, so... All right, everybody, have a good one. We'll see you again. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race.